welcome to Exiting Through the 2010s, a podcast about the movies from the 2010s. I am Jack Draper. With me is Clay Williams, uh, here to deliver me the wooden bullet. But if we were all vampires, like, what would we do with the time? I was going to ask the same question. Yeah, right. Now, like, I think we're all thinking it. Now, here's another thing that I've written down I was going to lead with, if not, if that's a little too broad. If we were a vampire and and we had all the time in the world and we can only choose one streaming service oh my God. to like occupy ourselves with. I hate that question. Okay. Only one then streaming service. We can just I mean, talk yeah, about that, that one is tough. I mean, the Criterion Channel or movie. Movie would at least have something new every day, but... Would you... Would I thought about that too, but then I'm also, like, what I missed Are we TV? talking about like paid streaming? Are we talking about paid streaming I, I services watch or Reacher. like free streaming services with ads like Tubi? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like to, yeah. yeah you can't Brian can never let Tubi What about Crackle? Thing. What about Crackle? Yeah. What about free VTV? We all need to yeah, watch free Freevee. I know. We got to get jury duty in for a second watch. Whatever yeah. streaming service has Reacher, which is currently Amazon Prime, but if it goes to another one, then that one too. I could, you Whatever get Amazon Prime, you can only watch the first three seasons of Yellowstone. You, you're just gonna be like left forever because you can't get Paramount Plus. <laughs> <laughs> that's the one piece of tad television I think I'm gonna not go get into. I think that's the one where I'm just like, I'm okay. I've been meaning to catch up with the first season and only season it's now. Two seasons, your father it's two seasons, man. The second season came out this year. I didn't watch it. Oh, when really? It came out. Why? Are you, Jack? Are you joking? Or are you actually want yeah. to catch up? No, no, I'm, I'm teasing. No. Okay, I was for a minute. Yeah. I was like, I was gonna try to save you. I was trying to try to fight a Boston and you know slap you both ways and be like, you don't have okay. to do this. <laughs> um. I, I would learn I would, every language. That seems would, so fucking dope. To just know yeah. every language? It so would be really hard. I don't know if I could Duolingo do it. Duolingo? Yeah. <laughs> just like go, put, pull up Rosetta Stone and go to work. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, that seemed... Because that would be just so badass. I mean, in any movie or television show, when the character just knows a random language you don't think they will, it's always cool. Always cool. Yeah. But no, I think because like you look at Tilda in or um, Eve, but like when she's reading at like in that like kind of quick montage, she's like reading all these different languages like in Arabic and stuff, and it's just like, mm-hmm. man, that would be so cool. I don't think I could be I, even if I had like a million years. I don't know if I could do it because I'm just not that committed to things. But I think that would that's probably what I if that's like on the top of my list. I know it is. It is interesting to see like Jarmusch's version of Adam and Eve is choosing like all these great works of literature and learning new instruments while like i think i would probably you know choose paramount plus because that has survivor and big brother on it i, I, I don't know I, I mean i feel like i <laughs> yeah. would probably just be like going on a deep dive of movies but like it, and it would be the thing of like wow i guess i i can watch all yeah you would just watch thousands movie. of the yeah. movies on my watch list right now like it's uh that's but yeah 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 i know i know that's that would be the joy it's just like you know uh uh, finally completing any watch list you might you might still work on. I also do love. Yeah, this to movie read. gave me an existential crisis about time. I was like, <laughs> I don't have enough time. Yeah, I don't have enough time to do anything I want. Uh, so go ahead. Oh, sorry. I, I I was just gonna say I am a slow yeah. reader, 
but I love to read, so I would definitely yes, be right. reading a lot. I mean that yeah. I and and not no, to I'm also a slow reader. Yeah. Not to get ahead of ourselves too, but that scene where Tilda packs up like three suitcases full of books and she just like presses them up against her chest because she's in love with them so much. I'm like, God, that makes me so happy. Just that that scene of like just showing her packing nothing but books that she loves. It's just like uh it it so that's how I feel about my Blu-ray collection, honestly. Not even a toothbrush. Yeah, yeah. it's all books. <laughs> what is she gonna need a toothbrush for? <laughs> she's, she's. Oh, <laughs> I, I bet you can get cavities even if you're a vampire. All right, like let's be, let's be real here. Blood can't be that good for your teeth. You like go out and and like you know smile a little too widely people are like why are your teeth red? And it's like ah, uh, never mind. <laughs> Give me one second. <laughs> Why do your teeth look filthy? I haven't brushed them in two hundred years. Maybe she okay. Maybe she just gets like a trial sized or a travel sized like thing of Listerine at every airport that she goes to. I don't know. (laughs) I that's always those when I watch any of these movies with like vampire mythology or whatever (laughs) mystical thing mythology. I'm always just like. I always like to I always like to learn about the inertia or like the uh, the just like the real tiny little details um, where I'm just like yeah. They brush their teeth. Obviously, that's not cinematic, and I don't really want it in the movie. But it's always something in my mind where I'm just like, <laughs> "You take a shit? I don't know. Well, Do you poop?" That actually is answered in this movie <laughs> because it is. Yeah, in the bathroom. Yeah, because uh, Anton Yelkin at the very beginning, uh, you find out that um, uh, Tom Hiddleston's character doesn't have a working toilet, <laughs> and he's like, "No, man, I'm gonna get someone to fix it." And he's like, "No, no." Please, please feel free to piss in the garden. <laughs> I thought he was hiding something in there, but that makes sense too. I mean, he could be, but like, I was just thinking it was like, oh, they're dead. They don't need to pee. No, yeah, that might, that's a good sense. And they only and consume the, the liquid. Yep. Thing, that's, that's funny that you mentioned like that because like he carries himself like a civilized person, but then when they're burying Anton Yelchin, like it's like he has the vat of acid like already there in the factory. He's like, don't even ask. It's like, you knew something like this was going to happen and everything. Like he's like, he's got like a sort of a getaway plan for that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, wait, wait, wait. They don't have well, acid. But, they have well, to drive there. But, to, like, like, he knows that it's there. He has, like, he knows a place whatever. where you can dispose of a body. And also, it's like, do you still have the carpet? He's like, behind the couch. And it's like, it's, it's like he does, like, have, like, a, a sort of, like, the yeah, means yeah. to, like, get rid of a body if he finds himself in that situation, which shows that, like, he's like, well, it's always a possibility that I might end up with a dead body in my hands. Like, even though I do carry myself as, like, a very progressive vampire. Yeah. It, it, I mean, also, it does sound like, also not to get ahead of ourselves, but it sounds like Mia Wasikowska's character yes. has been a troublemaker in the past, so. <laughs> oh, I bet she, I bet she, I bet she was, I bet if they, there was like two lines, they were say two lines away from saying that she was actually one of the serial killers. Like she was actually Jack the Ripper. I feel like there is like two, they were two lines away from them just making some historical reference. Like, actually, she was this person who killed all these people. Like, it, I was just waiting for it to happen. Oh, she was. Pinned. Who was Byron? Uh, Byron hung out with Mary Shelley. No, but. Lord Byron? Who? Lord Byron. In history. Because they mentioned, he was, uh, was it Molly? Oh, he's a poet. Yep. Okay. Yeah, because I always like those like real subtle references, like because you're just like, is that a fictional character or an actual person? Because it was a like, Molly Warcroft or something, Woolcroft or whatever. That's like an actual like English feminist back in like the fifth, six, seventeen hundreds or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but then like on their passport like the name is like daisy buchanan <laughs> which then maybe makes me think of like this is years later it just came out but like right. the killer for like all of like the michael fassbender's like pseudonyms are like tv show names and everything which is like funny to think about and yeah. also funny <laughs> Tilda Swinton is in that too um yeah, yeah. also maybe yeah. maybe but it's the, a side tangent less of the smiths in this one <laughs> but you mentioning that mia wasikowska could be jack the ripper i was just thinking yeah but she's too stupid to clean up after herself like she has to have tilda <laughs> and tom Middleton clean up so that would be funny if she did commit all those crimes but other people had to take care of them like it's like their own vampire sitcom of like oh not again My and, like, stomach everybody hurts. yeah everybody yeah. else has I to don't... take care of her shit because because she's already off somewhere else, like partying. I kind of want to look up she, what happened in Paris eighty years ago, because it's just like, did right. something? Are they referencing something specific? I mean, it could be. I mean, I, I don't. I'm willing that. to bet that uh, uh, that Eva is so dim that she probably confuses Jack the Ripper and Jack White. Like, I just have to make that assumption. <laughs> but um, with us today to talk all things Jim Jarmusch and Only Lovers Left Alive from Almost Major, it's Charlie Nash, Brian Doyle. Hey. How are we? Great to be here. Well, Lovely to have you two back. Although yeah. I will only be talking um, all things Jim Jarmusch if it's related to uh, coffee and cigarettes. That's the oil. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is it really, Brian? No, 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 no. 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 I, well, we did ghost dog. You that watched, would be funny if I did an entire episode you, Yeah, I was about to say, we did, we, <laughs> did the we did yeah, ghost yeah. dog, and I know you watched Patterson last night because you messaged us. <laughs> yes, so. I did, yes. <laughs> But yeah, I need to. You were actually just going off of context clues. You did not watch Ghost Dog. <laughs> it's. I will admit, for, for the pop. coffee and cigarettes is one of the few I haven't seen, along with Limits of Control and Permanent Vacation. Yeah. But I've seen, I think, everything else. I've seen like ten or eleven of his movies. I love Jim Jarmusch to death. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good segue, though. I mean, like we covered Patterson before, but not in a few years. And I guess now we could like refresh anyone who's listening to this myself and clay and you two like your exposure to jarmusch as well as your first time seeing this film it all, wait let me just say it is really cool that when we covered patterson i think it was the week before we had an actor who was on, in patterson oh shit. Uh, true. that was the week uh, yeah. Yeah. jared gilman around the time that jared gilman yeah. was, on, was on the show oh that's awesome yeah. Literally a week before, and again, we did not plan that. That wasn't something like, well, Jared Gilman's on, let's, get, let's put on some Patterson. And it wasn't a plan, it wasn't a plan. And he's kind of playing uh, the same character that he did in Moonrise Kingdom with... Um, yeah, with Kara Hayward. With Kara Hayward, yeah. You being so reclusive and everything is probably only going to make people more interested in your music. Yeah. What a drag. Hello. What is it? You look tired. Can't you tell your wife what your problem is? It's the way they treat the world. And now they've succeeded in contaminating their own blood, never mind their water. Typo negativo. Been expecting you for some reason, uh, Dr. Faust. I'll come. It's just the traveling that's such a drag. And is there a possibility of a night flight from Tangier to Detroit? Is that correct? I love what you've done with the place. Remember when you gave that string quintet to Schubert? I only gave him the adagio. I had a dream about your sister. Shouldn't she be sleeping in a coffin somewhere anyway? Probably with a wooden stake shoved in. I'm really, really hungry. Do you maybe have something? 
Would you smell it all the way from LA? It's always a bit weird with family. You're looking awfully pale there, Dr. Caligari. Is that the really good stuff? Precisely. You've been pretty lucky in love, though, if I may say so. God, I wish that I'd met him before I wrote Hamlet. Whoa, man. That certainly was visual. What is that? Oh, negative. My first exposure, I first saw Down by Law in college. My dad gave it to me for Christmas one year. And what was funny was while we were watching it, I had never seen it, but he was like, you're going to love this movie. And then I think 45 minutes into it, he's like, I'm actually not sure if I've seen this one. And he realized that he saw Stranger Than Paradise and not Down by Law. <laughs> so it was like us watching a Jim, uh, a Jim Jarmusch film for the first time. And I, I loved it. I fell in love with everything about it. And then this was mm -hmm. actually my second one. I saw this at South by Southwest in 2014. Um, and it just, I, I, I was just completely under this film's spell from like the first few minutes of it. And then of course, after this, I did a deep dive and caught up with Stranger in Paradise, um, Night on Earth, Dead Man. Um, you know, I fell in love with Patterson when that came out in 2016. Um, uh, I I just actually watched Mystery Train for the first time last night, um, which I adored. Um, there's something about his films that are so effortless and yet so full of life and also so fucking uh, cool. So cool, in fact, that I thought about my one anxiety coming on this podcast is like, I'm not sure I'm cool enough to talk about a Jim Jarmusch <laughs> film. Like, I'm such a fucking... None of us are. Like, I'm such a fucking dork that there's no way I'm going to be able to, like, properly convey just how, like, how incredibly high... I get from just the, the high I get from just watching his films based on just the vibe and the aesthetic and the mood that they capture. And each one, you they always have this very distinctive style that you can classify as Jarmushian. I mean, I'd say Jarmushian is kind of, you know, a film school like adjective at this point but because you like you know it when you see it, but you can't copy it. Exactly. People who try and it's copy it. It's a very unique Tour. Yeah. yeah, people who try and copy it, it's usually like flat or dull or airless in some way. But there's always a sense of kind of, um, uh, like I I I was I was trying to describe like because I remember when some people I talked to some people about this movie back in 2014, and I feel like some people had different readings on it. Like some people, you know, found it to be less optimistic and more melancholy, and some people found it to be more of a comedy more than anything else and i feel yeah. like what i love about his films is they're almost i don't want to say they're like ink blots or whatever but they don't exactly tell you how to feel or think about them they're just kind of like waves that you can decide to ride or not and if you want to if you can tap in to what you know the type of hangout vibe that he's usually you know um 
uh, tapping into, I guess, uh, then then they can be just pure poetry, not to you know I know <laughs> just thought of Patterson and yeah poetry, but um <laughs> I, I but I do there's something about this film that um really um I I just found completely um engrossing and it this was this and Down by Law were the ones that got me to completely uh go down the Jarmuschian rabbit hole and uh I think he's uh one of our best American auteurs working today the only film of his I don't care for is The Dead Don't Die but I don't think that's a hot take because I know a lot of people were let down by that one too and honestly I would definitely be willing to revisit it it's just maybe after the one-two punch of Only Lovers Left Alive and Patterson being two of the best films of the 2010s in my opinion and just so like beautiful and um kind of magical in how they use uh you know cinematic uh um they 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 god this sounds so corny but the the ways in which they are able to use images and music uh, and uh, edit them in a way together that it's is so profoundly human without even being um like they're earnest in the in, in the most um kind of curious of ways i feel like a lot of his films are also just about sitting with certain characters reflecting on life reflecting on existence in a way that he himself is kind of having a conversation uh with his characters in a way that the dead don't die felt oddly cynical and weirdly kind of like been there done that material for him like the zombie movie that's the only one that i was just kind of like i don't know if it's kind of a done to death genre and this just feels like you know something that felt way past uh way past him and way past you know what we were already exploring so other than that and isn't it ironic that adam calls the humans zombies and he'll make a movie about zombies yes exactly because because that film really does feel like a parody of himself it does and there's and it's completely disposable in point yes but i also agree that that's his one flop but i'll if anyone would like to cover it i'll give it another try but yeah it's a flop it's one flop like still you said like you're thinking of like charmish imitators who, who comes to mind when you think of like people who are imitating who are trying to do what he does I, I i can't think of any off the top of my head and i feel like there's like i still maybe that would like lock into place if i saw more of his movies like i still need to see dead man down by law mystery train night on earth but i'm, I'm curious what you think like of like people who are trying to like uh do sort of like a, a riff on him and i'd be curious to hear about like people who you think successfully ape his style and people who or people who don't, uh, who try, who unsuccessfully ape his style. I'm curious. Uh, I mean, that's a good question because I've kind of forgotten about, like, like there was a movie that with with John Hawks called Too Late that came out a few years ago where I felt right. like, um, it was a Dennis Walk film. I feel like some people loved it, some people didn't. Um, I was definitely one of those who didn't care for it, but that was one that kind of was like okay. Um, and there was some Tarantino stuff in there too. I barely remember that movie, but um, I mean, it's a good question because I'm. <laughs> that's the thing with some bad movies, right? Is sometimes you see them and then you just they just kind of dissipate from your memory yeah. unless they're like memorably bad. But um, I I. Mm. 
I know you put me on the spotlight. And I, I, I'm uh, aware. I'm, I'm sorry. It, it was like, <laughs> but it was just fine. something I find interesting. I was thinking about the same. Yeah, because I nobody could come to mind for me, but um, <clears throat> but it it just shows again. Like he he is so singular. Like I don't you, you his influences. I'm sure are like they sort of ring to me as more European. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but. And I've also heard him described as a jazz musician in the way that he will interpret storytelling and the way that uh, he studies characters. But and it makes sense because he has his own uh, his own band that plays the opening track to this movie. But uh, I yeah, I don't know. It's uh, yeah, no. Yeah, no one comes to mind for either. But yeah, again, it just proves your yeah, point. no, that is interesting to think about. Um yeah. Uh, so with this, well, with Jarmusch, I think the the first movie of this I saw was Ghost Dog, The Way of the Samurai. I got that, like, at a discount store where, like, they were just, like, selling used DVDs. Uh, and I'd seen the trailer and I was just like, wow, like, this is, like, a strange title for this movie. I probably talked about this when we did the movie back in, like, you know, two, almost two years ago. Or two years ago now. But, um, uh, yeah, that, that, and that was one that, like, really... What was the film that was paired with Ghost Dog? Uh, Panic. Uh, that's what we did it with. Uh, the oh, yeah. Yeah. Movie with yeah. William H. Macy, which I, I think is fine. Yeah. Um, Not nearly as good as Ghost Dog, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's hard. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I Ghost Dog was one that just, like, you know, it struck me as, like, like the title was uh, interesting, and I, like, the, you know... You know, I th- I thought I thought like oh like this this is cool, and then I saw I saw the movie and like it was it didn't move like I expected it to like you know like more way more languid than I was expecting you know with like a movie about a hitman, uh but uh I liked it quite a bit and liked it even more on rewatch when we did it for the show. Mm-hmm. Um, with only lovers left alive, uh my experience was like I had heard great things about it for years, never actually saw it until I took a class in university called Cities on Film, I think is what it was called or maybe cities in film where we were looking at representations of like, you know, uh, cities and like urban settings and movies like across like, you know, cinema history. Like, I think we started in like the 1920s and we were like watching and like a lot of the time, like you only had to watch like excerpts of the movies, like the first 30 minutes or so. And like, you know, you talk about it and like, I try, look, I, I didn't always plan it, my plan my days that well. So sometimes it would be like, you know, if it was a movie I'd seen already, I would like, you know, just watch the first 30 minutes and then go on or like, you know, I put a movie on a back burner and, you know, if it was, like, something that I hadn't seen, like, I would put it, watch it for 30 minutes and, like, sort of make the note to return to it at some point. And with Only Lovers Left Alive, uh, I can't remember what we paired it with, but we were, you know, you know, being set in Detroit and everything, like, in, you know, Detroit. Is, Robocop. You, know, you paired it with Robocop. <laughs> that would have been awesome. Uh, uh, that's not crazy. You say that like it's crazy. That's not crazy. Yeah. There is a lot of... That's that's interesting. Yeah. Put a pin Um... But th- with this, like, I think it was, um, so, like, w- like I said, with the watching the first 30 minutes, I watched the first 30 minutes and was like, oh, yeah, this is, like, really good. And But, like, you know, I don't have time to watch the whole thing right now. I'll, like, you know, just watch what we were told to watch. And then, like, you know, we just have a little discussion about it. And then, um, but then I think I found out, like, we weren't supposed to watch the first 30 minutes. We were supposed to watch, like, I think, like, 60 minutes onward to, like, 90 minutes so like i hate that shit so i hate I, when they do that it was shit. some I'm shit sorry. like that and like i so like i watched i'd seen the first three minutes and i watched like 60 minutes 60 to 90 and then like i was just like okay so now i kind of know where this movie's going and everything because like you know it got to the part where they anton yelchin turns up dead 
And I was like, okay, yeah. And I'm like, I hate that I put myself in this position and everything. And then, but then I ended up deciding to write write about the movie for my final essay for the class, where I paired it with um, what we we were allowed to pair it with a movie, uh, pair one of the assigned movies in the course, with the movie of our choice. I decided to write about uh, uh, that and Wes Craven's The People Under the Stairs, uh, because they're both kind of about oh. gentrification horror movies or horror adjacent movies that deal with gentrification. Uh, so I thought that was really interesting. Um, and then that, that's how I ended up watching the movie once the whole way through from start to finish, <laughs> which is just like, such a weird way to watch that movie. Like, you I, know, I, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> sort I, of roundabout. Yeah. That makes me so mad that like out of all type, any kind of movie, they're like cut halfway into a Jim Jarmusch film. That's literally supposed to be <laughs> hypnotic and like lure you into this type of rhythm of a different type of filmmaking. And they're like cut into the middle of it, it like, like how are you supposed to be falling under its spell you know like, it was like either that i this was a couple of years ago at this point but it was like it was either watch the first 30 minutes then skip ahead to like the hour point and then watch it from like until minute 90 or it was like the cut ahead i mean either way it's like it's not a great way to watch a movie and also it's like but it yeah. does speak to my background because sometimes i would like have enough time to watch like the whole movie like we watched the third man at one point like that was assigned to us and i was like oh i'll just watch like this whole movie because i've never seen it and great movie i mean Who knew? Yeah. Uh, i guess and, and i guess the trouble with that is like if there's uh a film on the uh, syllabus that <clears throat> works best with that format and then it just does not work well at all with the rest of the fi- like there's no way that you can create a list that will be formatted to to the to this sort of like screwed like viewing system yeah where if, it, if it's like, I don't know, like the third man, if you're looking to do that with, there's no way only lovers left alive can can be on equal, like, viewing Yeah, grounds. no, it was, yeah. yeah. Uh, mistakes were made on both sides, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I really liked it. And like, I, I got like, I, 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 I'm happy with what I wrote about it for the class and anything. But so like, it was like, when you asked us to come on the show and like, yeah, Charlie, you threw out the name of this movie. I was like, oh, yeah, like, I'd have like, I feel like I would have tons to talk about. And I, I did enjoy uh revisiting it although i feel bad that i uh left it to like the last minute to, to rewatch it and was like was good sort of like just checking the time all right i have 20 minutes left you know, when do i have to be on yeah. the call uh but, yeah well you yeah. know i've never ever done that for our own podcast <laughs> no, no, i've never oh i've, I've never... done that no oh, yeah. no clay's Crazy never done that yes. no clay's never used two times speed i'm sure um, um but it's it, it is it is funny because like you never really like got to like sit with it but it it is one of those that I hadn't seen in a long time either. Like, I also think this was my second. I think it was my second one because Patterson. I remember clearly was my okay. first. Like, like I was like, okay, like, like this is like a clearly like a new, like sort of more you know like chill uh, storytelling yeah. that okay. I had not been. Like, you know, you can't really compare it to much else, but, you know, your first Jarmusch movie is certainly something that you're not ready for until you actually do see it. Um, And then that one led me to this one. And then I saw Down by Law. I've seen Down by Law, the Coolidge now. Awesome. Looked great. Um, And then I've seen all of his movies. Every single one? I think so. 
Uh, not the Stooges. Like, I'm not. It would have been very funny but... if Gimme Danger had been your first one. Like, that's like sometimes I... my bit. I'll watch like the <laughs> yeah, yeah, least yeah, yeah, existent yeah. movie. Gimme Danger. That's <laughs> the name of the. I, yeah, 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 I yeah, yeah. did see Gimme Danger at the <laughs> yeah. New York Film Festival that year, but I was so sleep deprived that I don't have no. any uh, um, that doesn't it. sound like the kind of movie to wake you up either. no um but i mean i remember it being fine <laughs> but i don't to ask me for yeah. an opinion on it right now <laughs> yeah, yeah for sure yeah. but um yeah i've seen all of his movie because i think he's just one of my guys yeah. like he's like firmly in my top 10 directors ever i've never made a list like that but i'm sure he would find his way in one of those lists for me uh he's just like uh, like a you know he's unlike anyone else that's ever made a movie or that has existed in pop culture um uh, what was i gonna say next um yeah like i remember dead man in particular like like i was like whoa this is so cool i've never seen a western look like yeah. this mm-hmm. and you're a big johnny depp um, fan right Jeez. I, I, oh dear. More than more like now more than ever. I, I will a huge giant I, I will say I don't think I, Oh, sorry. No, go ahead, Jack. <laughs> a spot a spotless record and a spotless filmography. I've only seen Dead Man oh, once yes. and I think it's because well, I, I shouldn't talk because I have seen other Johnny Depp movies. I, I rewatched Sleepy Hollow recently and that movie still slaps, but yeah, like I, I do feel bad that the Johnny Deppness of it all has kept me from There's no ethical consumption under capitalism. No. That's just what no. I will say. Yes, no. Right. And I definitely need to right. revisit Dead Man. I yield my time. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um but what was I gonna Yeah. Um Coffee and Cigarettes, I remember being like I had the flu when I saw that I was like this is like, and I think that Coffee and Cigarettes <laughs> was the first of his anthologies that I had seen. And now seeing this again, I just am really struck by the the way that it's able to exist as a Jarmusch film that happens to have vampires in it, not so much like overwhelmed by its need to like have a. I mean, like Clay brings up before, it's not overwhelmed by its need to have mythos and um and these hidden details but rather like they're unwrapped as the movie goes on i'm just imagining you watching coffee and cigarettes with the flu and being like god i need a cigarette will somebody get me a cigarette (laughs) like (laughs) yeah 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 uh the pack of american spirits was right next to the anvil (laughs) my first Jarmusch was Patterson um and that was be and it's a movie I don't think I would have seen if at the time I wasn't also getting into movies and if that wasn't like a highlight you know it was streaming on Amazon it was like I was trying to watch any movie that was on any kind of list where people liked or talked about I was getting good reviews so I just watched it I didn't really think about it um and it's very much like Jack said a different approach to storytelling and directing than I was used to at that point um extremely uh comfortable there's no high levels of stress there's no big climactic scene it's just stuff happening Mm -hmm. um which is different much different than like ghost dog and only lovers left alive like there's you know there's climactic scenes there's a lot of drama and stakes and things like that um it's just very very different from patterson so I loved that movie, but it didn't necessarily make me want to be like, God, I gotta go see much more. I gotta see all these more Jarmusch movies. It's just one of those styles that doesn't necessarily make me want to watch more. Mm-hmm. I love it. I loved it. I thought it was great. And then I moved on. And then in 2021, I think I just finally sit down and watch Ghost Dog because I think that's one of those movies that 
you just hear the title or you see the cover and you're like, what the fuck is this yeah. shit? Mm-hmm. Ghost Dog, The Way of the Samurai. I mean, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. It sounds like an exploitation film. And then you watch it and it's just a completely compelling portrait of New York and this man. Mm-hmm. It made me read um, that fucking book that he reads all the time, like The Way of the Samurai. Uh, mm-hmm. What's it called? I can't think of the name of it. But these like musing, these like philosophical musings of you know one of the last samurais or some or who was someone who considered himself a ronin um, at the end, like at the you know end of the feudal empire and the use of samurais in general and just his belief system. It made me read that because that movie was so effective and that was so I was so interested in that kind of philosophy that just made me want to watch it and. Or read it. And then, but yeah, that movie is also so compelling and has this, like, such a foundational connection to New York City. I mean, Mm -hmm. it has RZA pop up as a cameo for no real reason besides just kind of implanting itself, planting itself in 90s New York. Mm -hmm. I think, wait, was it released 01? I, I think th- it was 99. Play to Festivals no, in 99 right. came out theaters in theaters in 2000. Yeah. yeah. 2000. Um, but it's still like that's that's 90s New York. That is, you know, yeah. that East Coast, you know, 90s rap. But also just that, I mean, a lot of that movie is such an incredible portrait of New York. I mean, those driving scenes mm-hmm. in that one, those at night when Ghost Dog is driving around, it it. it when I was watching Only Lovers Left Alive, his while he's driving in Detroit, it's eerily similar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the two movies I saw, and I've only seen of Dramouche. And it's ridiculous because, especially with my interest in... I mean, it's crazy I haven't seen Coffee and Cigarettes. Um, cool. I'm, again, like, I'm... Wu-Tang Clan is, like, my maybe my favorite artist ever. I'm obsessed with their music, and I'm obsessed with that era of culture. And... I mean, he's also worked with some great actors. It's crazy. I haven't seen um, more of his films, but whatever. Um, I watched... It, I didn't know much going to... I just knew Tom Hiddleston, Tilda. And I knew it was vampires. Um, it's one of those movies that I'm kind of surprised people don't talk about it more. It's like one of those things that, like, aren't weren't we all supposed to just, like... Once I watched it, especially, but even just before watching it, just in its place in culture, and I'm just like... Why aren't there just, like, people talking about this more? It seems like a pretty notable film. I think that there was, like, a... I mean, Charlie, maybe you can correct me. That there was, like, a quiet Jarmusch's back sort of thing. Because the response to Limits limits of Control was pretty quiet. Well, Limits Uh, of Control was not well-received. And to be fair, I haven't seen that... Yeah, that was... To be fair, that to make you feel better, Clay, Coffee and Cigarettes is one of the few I weirdly haven't seen. Um, but um, I like that movie. Well, okay, it's it's, just it's, a, be... it's a hit or miss movie as most anthology movies. Yeah, I just want to see the Jizza act. Sure, that's what I want to see, and I haven't. Well, and it's it, crazy I, I haven't seen. Um, Only Lovers Left Alive definitely was a comeback, from what I understand, to someone who hasn't seen Limits of Control, and I meant to watch it before. It's fine, but christmas plans and whatnot got in the way um and i'm yeah. um but i definitely know that was one of his lesser received films i think now that time has gone by some people consider it one of his best some people still think it's 
weaker Jarmouche. But there definitely was a... Like, I, I agree with you that there... From what I remember and understand, Only Lovers was a bounce back. And I will yes. say, Clay, um, it made me really happy. The first year I joined the Boston Online Film Critics Association, we definitely celebrated this movie i'm looking i'm on our website right now and i was like i know this was on our top 10 our collective top 10 it was number four so there definitely were yeah. people celebrating and on it wikipedia the there's um uh the bbc that had it ranked among the 100 greatest films of the 21st century in 2016 and in 2019 uh the the greatest films of the 2010s by the hollywood reporter i'm uh, this film made it. So, I mean, there's some publications that are going to be celebrating it, but I, I feel like that it does now I'm rank talking among his best. Right. I'm talking yeah. like, and this is, they're completely different movies, and the only thing they share is Tom Hiddleston. Um, but I am, I, it is... Um, the Night Manager is not a film. <laughs> right. I do think that this movie should at least have fucking um a crimson peak level right. kind of fe- like completely different movies completely different directors completely different fan bases but i'm just saying with how much how much like great aesthetic is in this film and how much it it currently ties into everything that is culture i mean and our current reality i mean this takes place before the flint michigan scandal and they repeatedly mention contaminated water yeah. Wait, does it take takes place, place in Detroit, Michigan? Does it take place Detroit. before the scandal, though? Because they have iPhones in it. Yes. That's really interesting. It's complete. Yeah. I looked it up. This was made in 2000, uh, in 2010, 12, or like 11. It was made in 11, released in 12? Uh, is that what, is it was that released in, well, it, it played festivals in 13, and it came out in the U.S. and Canada in 14. Well, probably, it was shot in 2012. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Flint was 2014. I thought it was A earlier than two that. Years. Well, 2014. I mean, I could look look it up again, but that's crazy. Yeah. Um, and it's also or, interesting considering it, that the contaminated water that was in the contamination actually is well, the character who's affected by it is in Tangier, not even Michigan. Well, they, they yeah. mentioned that like these zombies and their contaminated water yep. in Detroit. They do shot in yep. seven weeks. Wow. Yeah. Seven weeks. I and but. That, and there's also all these moments of just like, you know, I mean, this is a very specific time and place for Detroit. It's going through, I don't know how many bankruptcies at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, it has broken records, I, I think, of like one of the biggest like drop-offs in populations or like how many people have moved out of there for uh, Metropolitan, uh, uh, Metropolitan, no, wait, what am I, Metropolitan? 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 Metropolitan. Metropolitan, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Like, for one of the biggest cities in a country, it broke records in America. I'm pretty sure. I haven't done this research in a while. But it was, there was, like, after all the recession, after, like, the 08 recession, after the automobile uh, crisis, or the um, automobile industries just taking hit after hit, um, like, people really did move out of Detroit in roves. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. And so it is this kind of ghost town. I mean, like, it is, I mean, they, you know, they've been bankrupt before. It is just this desolate area. I think it's kind of come back now. 
but at this time, it's very much like that. And obviously, there's still a strong, you know, there's still a very strong community there at this time. Um, mm-hmm. I do find it interesting that, and this might be on purpose for Jarmouche, but I do find it interesting that the only the only black person shown in Detroit is Jeffrey Wright. <laughs> That's yeah. it. It's like, if you watch this movie, you wouldn't think there was actual black people in Detroit. Um, besides, uh, besides Jeffrey Wright. Um, I will say, I for the class I had to to watch this movie uh, for, we had to read an essay, and I incorporated it into my essay about like about the movie's representation of Detroit and also its black characters. And I'll, I'll, I I think that's a totally fair thing to bring up. I do think the movie's critical of it, but it is worth mentioning. Uh, yeah, I mean, was your I essay would assume... like conclusion first, then introduction, and then it ends with your middle paragraph. <laughs> like, <laughs> I I do I I do assume it is on purpose because the name I think the name of the band they were playing is called White Hills, and white is <laughs> very, very like shown you. prominently, yeah. and there's a lot of close ups. Like, yeah, I I think I, I think that is on purpose, but still, I just found it funny. One hundred percent. Um, but I, and then you talk about this kind of. You mentioned they mentioned plagues and this like constant cycle of downfall of uh, empires and communities and you know us zombies and the cycle of garbage that we're uh, that we go through and just like you know the plagues, the genocides, the violence, mm-hmm. the uh, complete devol- uh, de-evolution of uh, science and our you know just everything that makes us horrible is like mentioned and is prominently and but not again not hitting over your head like doesn't humanity suck yeah um it i think there's just so much in here that makes it kind of timeless but also very specific to that point um and so it's just surprising to me that this isn't current like this movie isn't brought up more yeah because and also with swinton who is probably one of our greatest actors currently living and Hiddleston being such a popular actor, you know, whether you think he's lived up to his potential or not with the projects he's chosen, that's for sure up to de- up for debate. But he is like definitely he's probably the best person to be in a Marvel movie. I mean, like or at least the best consistent performer in a Marvel movie. Because right. you can tell when like in Iron Man 2, Downey is probably not trying that hard. <laughs> Or, you know, Evans is probably mailing in for two out of those 25 movies. What about Mark Ruffalo? Every time... Yeah, Ruffalo, yeah. Um, well, I'm not saying he's... I, I mean, I guess his consistency in the actual movie. Okay. Maybe not the best yeah. person to come yeah. from those. Um, and he's also but, chosen, like, interesting projects outside of them. The the Marvel shit. Sometimes. Um, if that's what you mean. Like, Call Skull Island, I would what? not say um, it's one of the picks. That, uh, I, where, like, no. where he's not used very well in that movie. But, like, that, no one Like, is. Joanna Hogg movies. Which, and, which like, are before, but yes, I need to see those. That, yeah, yeah, that yeah, kind before, of is yeah, my yeah. thing I was thinking of, although I don't want to get too far. Ben I don't want to... I will just say, easily my We're favorite it, baby. Tom. Go as far as you want. It, thank you. <laughs> it's easily my favorite Tom Hiddleston. You got the permission. Well, it's funny, Clay, thank you for bringing up Crimson Peak, because I was going to say, easily my favorite Tom Hiddleston performance. No other I film seen has it, used him better. But Crimson Peak, I forgot he and Mia Wasikowska are both in that. Um, but oh. but um, I I have not really been very, and to be fair, I'm not a Marvel person. Yeah. I think he's totally fine as Loki. I just, those those films have just never really been for me, so I don't have a lot of personal um, investment. You in have, them. what is that in the background? Disney checks? <laughs> in the back of your room there? What? Oh, that's weird. Uh, <laughs> Wend Winston, that's so, you wouldn't say you're a Marvel person. Only love is left alive. 
Jim Jarmusch, Tilda Swinton, Mia Vashikovska, John Hurt, Anton Yelchin, Jeffrey Wright. I was so um, surprised and delighted to be asked to be involved in this. Jim had been writing a film for, for a while, I think, for about um, five or six, maybe seven years. It was really a film about a long-term relationship and the, the two people in that relationship happened to be vampires. And so if you've made a commitment to be with someone, to, with one person for the rest of your life, but the rest of your life is forever, how does that change your commitment? And um, Jim and Tilda had uh, were long-term, long-time friends and collaborators, and um, and he had very much written the part of Eve with Tilda in mind, and he just needed to find his Adam. And I remember meeting Jim in uh, in New York. He just kind of pitched me the film. He was like, "So there's Adam and Eve, and they're vampires, but they're vegetarians." Um, and, uh, you know, they, they, so they have like a deal with a doctor at a hospital who can get them the right blood, you know, and they really like the good quality stuff. And <laughs> it was just so, it was such an amazing idea anyway. And he said, you know, Adam is like, he's an artist and he's a musician and he's, um, he's younger than Eve. Eve is like 2,000 years old and Adam is only 500 years old, but they're together and they love each other. But Adam lives in Detroit and Eve lives in Tangier. And uh, it's a kind of sometimes they spend time apart because he likes to go and make music on his own, and and um, and he's kind of unhappy. He's inclined to the sort of the, the the heaviness, the spiritual heaviness of of the romantics, a pure romantic, somebody who feels everything, and can um, maybe perhaps he's even a little bit depressed, and he feels um, kind of burdened by the weight of the world on his shoulders and. And that you know the, the, that life is unfolding, that reality and, and things happening on Earth are, are not going well, and and he has a heavy heart, um, but it's a pure one and it's an honest one, and it's kind of got this this quite childlike um, sensitivity. And Eve is much wider and deeper and broader, and that she can contain him. I think it's called Only Lovers Left Alive for a reason. It really is about love and the power of real love and the endurance and durability of it and how strong it is if it's real and that true love is about acceptance and accepting somebody else for everything they are and and they're both artists they both have this appreciation for for literature and art and music and and the finest things and I, I learned a lot not just about filmmaking from both Jim and Tilda um, but also just about life there's an amazing line that uh, Eve says to Adam when he's feeling a bit low and 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 she and he and she needs to kind of pull him out of his of 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 the place he's at in his mind and she says 
How can you have lived for so long and still not get it? Is self-obsession the waste of living? It could be spent on surviving things, appreciating nature, nurturing kindness and friendship, and dancing. And as advice goes, I don't know if you can get better than that. <laughs> um, and then they put a record on, and it's um, Denise LaSalle, the record called Trapped by a Thing Called Love, and and they dance and they smile and they fall into each other's arms. And I just thought it's, yeah, it's a, it's a very close, it's a project that's very close to my heart, that one, um, for all kinds of reasons, yeah. I, I think there is a reason he got his own television show and why he was just the pure obsession with him after the first Thor. Um, mm -hmm. I think he has this devilish charm to him in those movies and I think I mean, I've, I've seen the show, and I think he's uh, really good in the show. I haven't seen the second season. Um, but even, like, Dark Dark World sucks. He is legitimately good in that movie. Right, Terrence Davies. Oh, God. I forgot. Uh, yeah, Dark World is bad. That's one of the worst. I like that you almost called it Dork World, which <laughs> just meant Dork. <laughs> dork World. A bunch of dorks. Ooh, good burn. Good burn. Oh, but, like, Eccleston doesn't survive More like that Dork movie. World. Yeah. Portman doesn't survive that movie. Hemsworth is... Whatever. You know, he's going through it, the like motions. fucking Skarsgård's not that good in it. No. Hiddleston is good. Yeah. Hopkins is mailing it in. Hiddleston always brings it. He commits to those movies, whether you like it or not. Um, and like, I I think that his yeah that he treats it fucking seriously. And whether you think that's foolish of him, that's fine. But right. like, when you hear him talk about Loki as a character, you're like, holy fuck, he is he takes this to heart. So I think that level of commitment is real it shows why he's been such a fucking why he's so popular he's also incredibly gorgeous but <laughs> i do think that that level of charisma and um and that level of just likability mm -hmm. also being a terrific actor is why i'm quite excited for and who knows maybe he'll never be done with marvel um, but I am excited to see if it's probably going to, his involvement will go down. Probably that show is ended. Um, even if he does really? cameos or whatever, but like, I am excited now that to you see bring what's that next up, for him. I do remember that being, uh, when I would see those, those films, like the Loki character would like, like you would feel like they would be done with him. And then like, I like they would kill him off. There were like, so okay, many times done. they were trying and to then, be done with him. Yeah. Oh, oh my god. god. Like, to be done with and him. I guess and that might be just something with Hiddleston. Him. When, yeah. when I yeah. saw Infinity War, I remember he comes in the first scene. I was like, isn't he dead? And then they kill him yes. in the first scene. Yes. And I'm like, okay, how many times <laughs> oh. has he died at this point? <laughs> like, right. yeah. I mean, it's funny. Well, they turned Tom Hiddleston into an actual vampire so they could just keep him in Marvel forever. Yeah, it's funny. It's like, why is all the scenes set at night? It's like... I also forgot he is in the Terrence Davies film, The Deep Blue Sea, and yes. which is also very good, and he's very good in it. Um, yeah. So maybe it is. He played Hank Williams, and I saw the on satellite, which is like, okay, you're gonna do your biopic. That's that's nice. Yeah. I I think Kong Skull Island. I mean, I think that film weighs him and um, 
Uh, oh, he's actually not good in that movie. No, yeah, that's I, one, mean, that, I don't think anyone's really good no, in that movie. No, nobody's good in that movie. Pass, that movie's a bummer. Everyone gets a pass. Yeah. For, uh, I will defend all of his Marvel performances. I won't defend that one. Yeah. The, no. I mean, not like... um. Uh, Jesus, why am I? Why is she blinking? Why am I blinking on her name? Brie Larson. Brie Larson isn't used well in that movie either. I mean, that movie's just not good. Period. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I there's something about him in this movie though that like I remember him like I was the when I saw this back in 2014. I know it's a it premiered at Cannes in 2013. Didn't hit mm-hmm. American film festivals until 2014. I do remember going through and this is also piggybacking a little bit off of what you were talking about earlier clay like i was kind of going through a pretty dark deep depression around the time i saw this movie and then feeling a lot of the 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 sadness and you know inner anguish that his character was feeling yeah. um and then what i love about the tilda swinton character is she sees some a silver lining in everything and f- always finds some form of optimism and like you mentioned with like her being like oh come on like we've been through this before you missed the renaissance the plagues all this stuff i was thinking the um with this viewing i don't think i'd seen this movie as much as i loved it i watched it a bunch when it around the time it came out and i bought the blu-ray i don't think i'd seen this since um since we lived through trump since we lived through the pandemic since a lot of other horrible things have happened that i actually watched this film um you know completely familiar with it listen had listened to the soundtrack countless times but i even saw the this film and his inner anguish differently like in a way that like he all he 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 nails that that type of um existential uh anguish and dread so well even like it, to to comment on what you said about it being timeless, like I think that I have now aged almost a decade since I saw this for the first time, and even I was able to w- see think about other things going on in the world since this film was made. That also made me so appreciative for the um, the the I said it just a couple seconds ago, but the silver linings in the world, and you know some of the small joys that we have in certain things we take for granted that i think that his performance and tilda being able to lift his character up out of the muck um i find to be incredibly moving so she doesn't deny any of it she doesn't say oh no things are good actually no she doesn't yeah 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 what's so interesting just in thinking of some of the Jarmusch movies I've seen, like this, and Stranger in Paradise in particular, because I feel like that, like the characters in that are very similarly, like sort of characters who like get stuck in their own heads and can be like a little like n- narrow in some ways. The movie, I think, I think Jarmusch. They're very much curmudgeons. Yeah, and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think what's really interesting about those two movies and some of his other movies in particular is like, I think Jarmusch, like, is aware that sometimes, like, these characters are a little bit ridiculous, like, some of the things that they're crabby about and everything, like, you know, like, in Stranger Than Paradise, it's, like, these characters, like, they, they travel, like, from New York to, uh, to, I think, to Cleveland to, like, Florida and everything, it's, like, they're unhappy in mm-hmm. every place that they go to, and it's, like, yeah. okay, well, yeah. fucking get a grip and everything, <laughs> but, but and, like... Uh... The biggest joke of that movie is that they end up in Florida. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and then the final joke of that movie, which we won't spoil, but also involves an airplane. It's really funny. Yeah. 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 Um, 
But like, but like he also, and in this movie, you know, like the stuff that Tom Hiddleston's mad about is like saying like, oh, these zombies were ruining all this stuff. And it's just like, okay, but like you're maybe like taking this a little bit extreme, but like he and Jarmusch as like a writer and director and also his performers, they also like, he, he treats them like people and everything. Like they, like, the, they like, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, like maybe there are reasons for being sad or like some of them are a little bit like surface or like a little, um, petty but like it's also like it takes it seriously and like they they have like their own anxieties and like and people who and they also have people who care about them and everything they don't always express it very well i mean stranger in paradise they barely know how to express that they mean how much they mean to each other and in this though like it's you know you really do feel like the sense of like love that exists between swinton and and hiddleston and everything like you know when they're having like very intimate moments of, of, of like physical affection or anything like when they first meet like you know like you hear yeah. like just the like mm-hmm. the sound that's most dominant over the scores like the sound of them breathing as they're hugging, hugging each other you really do get that and there's a real intimacy intimacy in the facetime scene 100 oh, yeah yeah which oh, so, I mean, yeah. It's a, yeah where she can tell that he's not doing well and she just goes oh fuck yeah yeah like yeah. I, okay yeah, yeah. i'll come to you but i can't make <clears throat> i can't believe you're doing this, making me there. do this yeah. again but it is kind of like i don't know not to get personal, but I've definitely had times in my life where I've had to tell like a friend or a loved one, like I'm not doing well. And then, but they, but they, they're like, oh, God damn it. Like, I know oh, yeah. you're, I know you're struggling. Well, I'm going to come to you. It's usually not hard to tell a lot of, I've noticed Certainly. a lot of the time people. Not even with like, vampires. Yeah. 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 Right. It's like, yeah. It, what's wrong? And I'm like, well, all right. Yeah. yeah but, the, but there's something well, so romantic about her, how she's just like, I'll drop everything I'm going, I'm doing right now to come to you. I can't believe you're going to make me do this again. But I, I, but there's just, it's not even that it's not even, it's not even say, telling anything through dialogue. She's just like, fine, I'll, I'll come to you. You know, it's just the travel that's a drag. Where he doesn't even he doesn't say a thing. Yeah, he, he just makes a face. Yeah, she's yeah. Like, okay. He's like okay. really downcast yeah. in his body language throughout so much of the movie. I mean, like the way like he great just... physical acting by him, and I think that's another reason why people gravitate to him as a performer yes. as well is his use of body language because he's a very like slender, you know, you know, kind of lengthy kind of guy. But I mean, in the as Loki, he you know he kind of a lot of times moves like a snake. Or like a reptile, mm. and has this kind of eerie physicality about him that makes you uneasy the moment he enters a room. And then as he starts his character arc, which is whatever, you can, yeah. that kind of disappears. And um, and he's so, very funny. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh no no no. Yeah, he is funny. But like I think and yeah, and I think that is why he also works with in like the Waititi film. Again, when I'm it makes me sound like I think these movies are very coherent and have like a great plot whatever. <laughs> I'm not saying that. I am saying he he works with the stuff he's given really well, and That's I think fair. his commitment to that role is shown through his performance. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And, and these vampiric characters uh, give Jarmusch the ability to express the things that he's really good at in a way, in a new way, um, like the sense of time passing you by and uh romance i mean he is he's consistently a romantic writer um in one way or another and in uh uh, pairings that may not know how to express it or pairings that do know how to express it um and with these two it seems like they're at a point when they know each other's they can intuit each other's needs but still but still have these um 
like they can still rehearse these things of like how these how the zombies to them will act as uh, a partnership like I'm thinking of when Eve says to Adam like um uh, have a nice day at work honey and he, when he's getting the blood yeah. at the doctor's office oh, yeah. <laughs> um um fun, something else I didn't know that um Adam and Eve is not a biblical reference it's a Mark Twain yep. reference oh interesting yeah, which, which I didn't know un- until that you know you would only assume yeah, that's it is. Yeah, it is kind of that. That's one of the like at the beginning. He's like, "Hi, Adam. Hi, Eve." And it's just like, "Okay, all right, Jim. All right." I mean, yeah, like this is one of those things when you hear it so close together, you just kind of roll your eyes a little bit, and you're like, "Really?" Although Adam, Eve, but that's, that's it would be funny if it was like calling himself Adam and Eve, like the Bible. But then, like the one of the first things he says is, "Feel free to piss in the garden," as in like, "Feel free to piss in the garden." <laughs> <of Eve. laughs> that would that's be such well, a that's great. Really funny. That's I didn't even such... think about. I, that. Well, I just thought about it. Well, yeah, I just remember that now. That's that. I mean, yeah, that's that's really cool though. Um, also, a a great track. Well, maybe my favorite track off of the soundtrack, and a soundtrack that this might be my favorite score of the. 2010s but we can it's get one of the few movies too. where the moment it ended i'm like add to my playlist like add to my music like oh. i immediately like i almost never do that it has to yeah. blow me the fuck away i'm gonna be using that to write when i go back to school all my essays now it's it somehow like brings back this like shoegazy noise rock that is so absent from our musical landscape these days too i mean like i mean like slow dive made a comeback 25 years later but after this movie came out um i i can't think of many like you know my bloody valentine i guess came back right before this movie but i feel like that type of music or even even this type of noise rock that kind of goes into uh ambiance or what have you isn't really that big anymore and also kind of even in its own way goes back to a nostalgic time uh i would even characterize like the scenes when they're when they're arriving at the bar as sort of trip hop mm-hmm. oh my gosh like if, if they had trip hop in this i would have loved this movie <laughs> <before>. <laughs> just like bump Not and massive attack that, like, <laughs> like like portis head yeah. you know yeah. uh you sort of like bore poured like like you border on trip hop as something that you could see added to the soundtrack but yet it's it's just avoiding something that obvious i guess mm-hmm. um yeah, it's, it's really interesting how it is, like, the score does have, like, this kind of, it is, like, kind of dissonant, sort of, like, plucking a strings or sort of, like, a lot of feedback and anything, but it is often, like, kind of, so, like, it's kind of, un, it does have this suggestion of, like, something unnerving that could happen, but then, like, it is also, like, kind of just, like, this sort of steady tone throughout the whole thing, so it does, like, achieve, like, this, even though it does have this dissonant sound quality, it does have, like, this sort of, like, steadiness to it, where it is, like, you do sort of ease into its rhythm, almost, because it's just, like, kind of, like, not really varying like the notes all that much um mm-hmm. yeah. it did remind me of neil young's work on dead man as but, and, as yeah. like uh, i need to yeah. see that but it's funny and we were talking about how like john Marsh, like you know sort of like the reception of his some of his movies i know that's one i remember first reading about that movie i think in ebert's review of one he gave dead man one and a half stars and i think he said that the neil young yeah. score sounded like someone repeatedly dropping their guitar over and over again which i think is like <laughs> <laughs> that's why it rules but no, yeah. and, and it's funny yeah. how people come around on that and like yeah. you know maybe that's like yeah, that will happen yeah, with some yeah. of his other movies too but it's you know yeah. it's funny yeah. yeah jack you also brought up that he's very romantic and with this and patterson i like in particular uh, and i just watched mystery train 
for the first time last night um, in preparation for this. Also, that movie was on my shelf for a while, and there was no need, no reason as to why I didn't get around to it. But I do like that he often drops you into the middle of relationships that have already been going on for a long time. Yeah. Like this and Patterson. I love that they don't need to explain why these two people are together, because technically, if you look at these two characters, you'd be like, well, Tom Hiddleston's a mopey sad sack, and Tilda is just you know, beautiful and insightful and sees the, you know, so much optimism in even the darkest of times. Why would these two be together? But they, but then when those two people are on screen and they see each other for the first time, as everybody's mentioned, like there's a certain um, confidence in the performances, but also a beauty in the aesthetics and the way it's shot and edited and the sound design that just makes it so intimate. And there's something about this movie in particular, I think, He's always been a sexy filmmaker, but there's a sensual, a sensuality oh, yeah. to this movie with no actual sex. There is a shot of them. They don't them... even fuck, which was yeah. my big disappointment. I wanted to see at least one scene of them fucking. <laughs> well, there is that shot of them lying nude, but it's like, I kind of... It's I, like a painting. And I say yeah. this as we're in the midst when we're recording this now that there's a big debate on what sex scenes are unnecessary, which is total horseshit. We've lost all sense of horniness in movies, but I love that this movie is so sexy and yet it doesn't even try hard to be sexy at the same time and is so there's such an eroticism and heat to these characters just in the ways that they're romantic as opposed to just them being because both Hiddleston and Tilda are pretty especially in this movie androgynous figures they're not the the typical type of actors that first of all the movie doesn't objectify them in any way the camera doesn't objectify their bodies it just, it, it, it. I mean, there's scenes where they're dancing or just, you know, sucking on blood popsicles where it's not even. It's just, it's just so hot. And, and it reminds me of, you know, you bring up Jarmusch's ease, mm-hmm. in which he, you know, directs, he writes with ease, uh, um, his camera like lingers with ease, uh, and that married with. Uh, looking at vampire mythology and how he interprets vampire mythology it it is this perfect blend of like things that he's already interested in and characters that make sense uh for him to to explore and um yeah this this is absolutely and uh, and i and you know of course there's this whole thing of like vampires already being this like erotic um you know mythology characters that that works in that favor yeah. i mean tilda laying down with like her robe you know like you know showing a, a little bit of skin while she's laying down talking to hiddleston's like is hotter than almost any of the movies i've seen in the last two years like it's just one of those things it's like very effortless but i also think it's just i think it you know the clothing the uh framing of each, of, of how how do I say this? I don't know. I, I think it is a lot of it is the aesthetic um, that adds to sensuality, but also just the it allowing itself to be comfortable and natural rather than just like okay, this is the sexy moment of the yeah. film. It's more it, it's more like you said intimate. It's more casual, even if they're like very much not casual people like characters. Like they're all you know, it's very they're very large in a lot of ways with just who they are in general and what they wear and their beliefs and their intelligence. 
Um, so it's, but just those little, just them laying down together. Yeah, and a lot of times it'll just be like, it, it, they'll, he'll frame it as like a painting. Like those mm-hmm. two naked in the room. I don't, that's actually not even a really sexy scene to me. I don't think no. there's so many yeah. other sexier scenes in that film. It's like filmed like a painting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, I also think, I mean, they're both incredibly hot. I mean, Tilda, I mean, to be a creepy straight guy for a second, she is fucking beautiful. Yeah, I'm a gay guy, um, and I agree with movie. you on that. They're both incredibly yeah, I mean, beautiful human wolf. beings. Like, <laughs> um, And it is, I mean, I also love the choice of how, I, I think this is, she's 20 years older than Hiddleston, which seems crazy to me. She looks so young. Um, but I think i love how that's not ever they look so particular i mean it's perfect casting for who do you think would be vampires in real life mm-hmm. um and, and you know a lot of it is that androgynous quality which has also been present in a lot of vampire films i mean i think that's another reason why hiddleston has been a focus by a lot of different people a lot of different groups and demographics of like how how people how many people have had crush or an attraction to hiddleston i think that androgynous um i think uh androgynous look um and body language does a lot with that i mean same thing with almost similar not as much but like pat Pat, robert pattinson in the twilight movies Mm -hmm. um i think a lot i think that's why vampires themselves are such sexual figures that it's very much like if you you can't really cast someone who you don't want to see fuck as a vampire Mm mm-hmm you're kind of like, even if you're not like horny or whatever, you're just like, I kind of want to see what that looks like. Because they're like, like not in, not meaning they have to be ripped or gorgeous. You're not casting just Jeff like, Bridges. Right. Like, you, they role. just need to be kind of sensual figures that embody some Maybe kind Logan of wants that, sex. I, I mean, yeah. I, I, I think that's just kind of a part of the aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Unless you're playing like 1950s Dracula or whatever. You're like, you don't want to fuck that guy. But... Um, I think the modern representation and how if you have a vampire film or any kind of vampire fiction, it, it requires some level of sensuality. You're just not, unless it's a p- complete comedy, you're not going to see that anymore. Yeah. It has to have some level of sensuality because that's what they represent to us in culture. I mean, especially after like the AIDS crisis, I mean, mm-hmm. the transfusion of blood in a way is so sexual, is so sexualized in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll see it in any kind of CW show that has vampires in it. Or True Blood, of, of course, is, like, mm-hmm. huge uh, in that realm. Um, so it is, yeah, like, you would think that there... So it, for a film to be so sexy without showing you that much, just, one, proves to how confident of a filmmaker Tarmouche is, but also how... It, and it's also those characters, like, their physicality, but also just who they are. It's kind of hard, like, well, they were made for each other, like, in a lab. Like, they pair so perfectly in, like, you know, with their chemistry, of course, with via their acting, but also just physically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, especially if you see in, like, you know, of course, with how pale, but how lengthy and kind of uh, sculpted they are. They all have these very rough, or not rough, uh, very sharp edges in their jaw lines Mm -hmm. and their cheekbones. And they're like again like sculpted figures like when you see them laying naked in a bed again like a painting yeah. you're like well these two people they're like they're almost in a lab that were like all right we need two we need adam and fucking eve here are the here are these guys they need to be paired they're connected and i think that's so important for that film especially when you get to the ending this idea of um 
the what spooky distance action thing with you know the entangled particles that if one you know, even if they're across the universe if one is affected the other will be affected in the same way mm-hmm. yeah that you have to present that you have that like you know that, that ending to the film is so important like that's like the thesis of those two only lovers left alive it's a fucking title yeah so you have to have them have incredible chemistry but also just so physically connected in a way mm-hmm. and not necessarily just by fucking all the time but just in the way they hold each other they kiss each other um, they look at each other. It has to be like they have to be one organism in a lot of ways, well, and so that requires good casting, great lighting, great makeup. Like it, everything, every single technical part of the film, while also the acting and writing, have to all be operating on that same level to fully believe these are two like soul mates. Capital fucking S, capital fucking M. That's the only way you're gonna sell this thing. Yeah. Now that we're on the the, phys- the physicality of of uh, Tilda Swinton and Tom Hilston, <clears throat> I think it's an interesting time to bring up that there was a casting what if. Uh, Tom Hilston was not the first choice, um, according to the Wikipedia, but Michael Fassbender was cast before him. Oh, uh, I can see that. I think that this would make sense because Fassbender is on such a run at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the decade in his career. He's almost too masculine. Uh, yeah, I kind of agree. I agree with Clay. I, I think that it would almost be too much. I, I, I find, I personally... Very intense. Like, I don't think he has, like, the humor well, that's for it. The, the thing. Uh, the cheekiness. I mean, he's cast in, like, the new Nancy Myers movie, or he was cast in whatever she was going to be working on. I was like, really? He does not scream yeah. like rom- rom-com lead. And also, on Blank Check, when they did their Fincher series, they talked about the killer and how Next Goal wins, which came out like you know recently. How like he just looks so uncomfortable, and that is what they were saying. Like, and that's like yeah. a light comedy yeah. role, and it's like yeah, that. I mean, I think Fassbender's a terrific performer, but like, I mean, that's I would be, I, I yeah. maybe you yeah, could work, but true. it's like it's like that doesn't quite strike me as right when he plays villainous characters. It's like scary. Hillson, I don't get that quite yeah. so much when he's even when he's scary. This. This uh, production took quite a while to get moving. Like the idea for the the germ of the idea for this was like around two thousand nine, two thousand ten. Um, John Hurt, Tilda Swinton, Mia Vasikowska was all where they were always attached. Yeah, Tilda was especially um, always attached, right? But, yeah, Tilda especially. I mean, if you they, ask, they who were Hollywood's vampires. I'll say those two. <laughs> well, they always they also worked together on Broken Flowers. And they might have. You could also put Mia Goth. You could also Mia put, Goss, yeah. um, sure. You could put yeah. maybe Leah Sadu. Just these like Bill's very right. like Phil Skarsgård, almost absolutely, too, almost Alexander Skarsgård. Yeah, Alexander well, Skarsgård was wasn't he was true blood. blood. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. Oh, true. I, yeah. I haven't seen that. Um, but uh, yeah, like this took a while to get going, which you know it's sad because his drama was like they just don't like nobody wants to make the movies they want to make that are you know a little challenging or like a little out there, but. And have um, no chance of profitability. Like, I mean, I love this well, movie, but who who could you sell this to? What's interesting is that it did make its budget back, but it, it, its budget was only seven million dollars, and yeah. it, it made um, its budget back domestic. In, yeah, like cities. It didn't make a profit. Yeah, well, like cities, art house, you know, cities with art house yeah. theaters who will see the name Jim Jarmusch and see Tilda Swinton, Tom Hiddleston, and be like, "Me go there." But you would think that yeah. this is coming right off of Avengers. It's starting pictures even, classics. They know you're how not even getting like the curio you know 14 year old girl to watch it i mean and not to be you know generalized but i mean at that point hiddleston is like before tiktok fan cams he is 
people are obsessed with him. They will have, they want everyone, like, so many people wanted to have his children at that point. What songs are playing um, during these hypothetical fan camps that, if they were to come out now? <laughs> I mean, they're out yeah. now. I don't what, know. What they're pop songs circa 2014? Yeah. But you would think he would, like, you think you would get more curious viewers because people were obsessed with him. Like, crazy that is the, an interesting point though that i did think about this and i also thought a little bit about even though this is a completely different movie i kept thinking about one of my favorite films of we're recording this in the tail end of 2023 i thought about how in some ways this is somewhat similar to the kelly reichardt film showing up kind of about artists making films about people who are artists who feel a little adrift and making smaller forms of art that are not as appreciated by the times and kind of feeling I want to make what is comfortable to me. I feel like there's a lot of autobiographical stuff, feelings and into uh, insights that Jarmusch has about art and the way we as a society consume art and science and, you know, you know our whole understanding of the world and i do think you know i didn't even consider this back in the time that i saw it several years ago but it is interesting to me that tom hiddleston being in this movie just around the time the avengers and the marvel movies are getting bigger than ever it almost feels kind of curious to me this was right after Avengers. right after the first avengers so but i but i couldn't help but think about that yeah like i couldn't help but think about that and i'm not even saying jarmusch was intentionally doing this but i do find it to be an interesting time capsule bit of casting but 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 i guess like the and the, the comparison i'm making to showing up which is a completely different film about you know but i found that film in which michelle williams plays a struggling you know artist kind of who prefers to who hasn't had a big breakout and prefers to make these types of you know smaller scale things kind of like Jarmusch and his vampire who's who in this movie I mean we haven't there's not really much of a plot to speak of let alone in any Jarmusch film but like I do find it to would be interesting. Uh, Hong Chow be her Ian <laughs> I don't know because that's a that, you know that's a good point that is a good point because I also don't think Ian Hong Chao. Those that are obstacles to your artwork. Yeah, but Ian's. Hong Chao is like. Michelle Williams is consistently asking Hong Chao to do things for her, and Hong Chao is like, I'll get to it. Ian always does stuff for Tom Hiddleston. Ian's a solid dude. He's a man. nice it's guy. Such, and, in, and He got. Yeltsin yeah, is so good in this. He's rough, so funny. He's such rough, a little puppy rough. dog in this movie, and he genuinely wants to help Hiddleston make it big and he's so eager to do and give him whatever he wants he just doesn't understand Hiddleston's curmudgeonly side of Did like, you ever think that he was secretly selling his music? I mean there is that scene at the bar that I think is supposed to imply that maybe like but I don't here's the thing I don't ever Hong Chao just kind of brushes in, in we can get off the showing up train now the only reason i brought it up was kind of like kelly reichardt and jim jarmusch being comfortable making smaller scale films and i need not to do. Getting, don't worry uh into this stuff showing but, up more like getting but, out no. <laughs> oh! but, but um but um oh! no but i do think that there is something that's i found and i don't think i've seen this since anton yelkin passed oh. which also brought yeah. some you know bittersweet stuff to it but i do think there's something i think anton yelkin senses the you know the depression and the sadness of Hiddleston's character, and only wants the best for him, but doesn't really fully understand what 
is kind of eating away at him existentially. But there is, but I do find it to be very endearing that, like, Anton Yelkin, like, he clearly knows other people in that bar and is, like, made connections and has a social life, but then he chooses to go hang out with all of them I, at the small table yeah. and then decides to go back with them and Mia Wasikowska. And it's not even, like, Mia Wasikowska is kind of the one you know pulling him back it's not like he's like i'm gonna get laid like he's just like i like these people and they seem really cool and he, every time he tries to get more involved he's kind of shut out not for any reason that he understands though it's just yeah you know it's just sort of uh i do love that performance because there's so much pathos to it yeah and you do feel like that he has um another movie going on like in the background yeah. of this one he seems Maybe like a even people one pleaser. that could exist with eva he seems like he yes. goes out of his yes. way to just make everybody happy which is what makes it so sad and that's and i think tilda senses that in him and, <laughs> and i do love the fact that um vampires can just use humans as like instacart <laughs> mm-hmm. it is it is very much like a, a transactional thing but for but for Ian, he might just have that sense of loneliness. Yeah. Anton Yokin, of course, um, if we could do some talk about, you know, that career, like, gone, of course, gone way too soon. And that's, I, I remember uh, seeing Green Room and then getting that news, like, <sighs> shortly after. Yeah. And, or seeing, sorry, Thoroughbreds and then getting that news uh, shortly after. And, you know, it's Yeah, Thoroughbreds was, so, like, the last thing he did. So and died yeah. Yeah. Gone after. Um very very sad but i mean do we have i mean we've covered green room before and he is just spectacular in that um do we have any favorite performances I mean, that is up there i think it? he's incredible in green room um yeah but, and like read what i would say too about like i, I like that you mentioned thoroughbreds i don't love that movie i like it fine but like it but i do like mm-hmm. it is sort of like a similar character to his into ian and only Overslept left alive where it's like this guy not maybe not the brightest uh uh bulb in the in, in the in the shed or whatever uh but like um or the box i guess so but um but like you know he is like there he does i don't feel like he's ever like condescending to the character he always tr- plays him like a regular person like he has yes. emotions and he yeah. like you know wants to like you know uh and he has like his own ambitions and everything like you you do get the sense that there is like an interiority to that guy and everything that he's making and like they do feel rooted in character rather than just like, oh, I don't know, he's just like a fucking idiot or whatever who gets killed or whatever, yeah. like, or like is gonna get beaten <laughs> up and everything. Like, he, he he plays it, like, with a sincerity that is, like, I think it's really funny when, like, he messes up, like, uh, uh, Eva and Ava's names and everything, and then, like, he puts his hand, hand over his heart and he's like, oh, I'm so sorry and everything. Yeah. Like, he's laying it on too thick, yeah. but also you believe yeah. that, like, yeah. that's, like, sincerely how that guy would express himself and everything. Like, be, like, super apologetic. Or yeah. there's that moment early on with him and Adam when uh, he's like, oh, I forget the musician, but he's like, you saw him perform? And he's and Adam's like, yeah, on YouTube. That's on so YouTube, good. he has to correct himself. <laughs> well, that's a, a, yeah. another laugh that I got, but only because it was, like... A, it, it was kind of sad for me was when they are at the bar and they're watching the band and he goes oh did you like the music Tom Hiddleston and he goes yes and he was like do you want me to take you backstage you can meet him and he goes no <laughs> and it's just like, that's just he's just being a nice guy and it's like obviously he just doesn't know that like you know what that Tom Hiddleston's a fucking vampire and also that he's just a curmudgeon but like you know but that yeah and that's the other thing slightly going back to Tom Hiddleston yeah. he's and what we were talking about with Fassbender, Tom Hiddleston's so funny in this movie, and he is funny as Loki when he needs to be. I mean, 
Um, but I feel like Michael Fassbender, you were talking about Bride and how, like, he's not comfortable with comedy. I feel like Tom That's Hiddleston... That's what I've heard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, I feel like Tom Hiddleston's <clears throat> deadpan comedy is so rooted um... in anger and sadness that I'm not and sure... Angst. Fa- and angst. But yeah. in a way that he is... He's really funny in The Killer. He's really no, funny No, but I feel, like the, I feel like he's funny in The Killer, but that's because Fincher knows how to use... How to de-emasculate him, in a way. I feel like he's funny in a way that, like... In the way that, like, Tom Cruise is funny in Eyes Wide Shut kind of way, where we're gonna take this actor and completely, like, strip him bare of everything okay. that you'd expect him of. That's a good point. Um... But yeah, I I find yeah, and and you know we're gonna get into it, but you know the whole scene of Hiddleston ultimately finding Mia Wasikowska and Yelkin dead on the couch, and you drank Ian. <laughs> She's just like, it's Sorry. so it's you drank. That's the thing about Tom. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing about him is that I don't think there's someone who he consistently has brilliant line readings, even in the fucking Marvel movies. He just. I don't know. He, I think he just really just dials in his characters so well that mm-hmm. he just is able to find the perfect way to deliver a line, mm-hmm. no matter if it's shitty or not. Like no matter, like you know, like you know, no matter if the line is like well written or not. I think he just finds a way to deliver it the best he possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously that's not in this. It's not shitty, but I'm just saying. In a lot of other stuff, it just it, I I notice that a lot. Mm-hmm. It's like if it's a comedic beat, he's gonna try to do it the funniest way he can, and if even if it's not funny in the first place, he'll at least get you to smile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean he, he and Swinton have like really good like uh, jokey chemistry, which is another thing that he really that Jarmusch and his performers really nail in Patterson, like all the jokes that Golshifa Ferrani and um, Ferrani and uh, Adam Driver have in in that movie as like a as like a couple uh, living together and knowing each other really well, like just the little jokes that they have. I mean, that's like just a thing that like yeah. some people like it's a thing where I'm like, oh man, one movie should do that and everything. It's not just like lovey dovey stuff. It's also just like sort of like when you're saying something, when you're poking fun at each other. It's like okay, yeah. I mean, like in this yeah. only lovers left alive, it's like the bit when um first Mia Wasikowska like pisses Tommy Olsen off by like climbing into the bed and everything, and it is almost like very child like the way she like sort of like just carelessly like drapes her her leg over his face and everything when he's like in bed and everything and like she does the peekaboo thing he's like really pissy about it but then like Mm -hmm. Tilda Swinton later comes in and says peekaboo and he's like don't even you you can hear like laughing (laughs) it's like it's funny when they do it with each other and everything like I I just like that's like another thing where their chemistry is yeah the chess scene is really charming it's like they're it, like when they're playing chess together. It's really charming. Eve, you're ruthless. Um, Eve, you're ruthless. <laughs> Which Again, is that's so a ruthless. Beautiful line yeah. reading. Yeah, yeah. It, it's also so yeah. funny because she's ruthless in playing a game, but she's so warm in every other moment of the movie. <laughs> right, right. That's where she expresses this desire to be cutthroat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it li- literally cutthroat. Um, <laughs> but it's yeah, I, I, yeah. I was gonna. I just thought of like the Farhani driver relationship in Patterson is another where where it's a little bit like the Anton Yoshin approach to um, to that character. Like there's no judgment yeah. of those two. There's no like mm-hmm. um, the, it's too cute or it's too um, it, it never feels like it's overly baked that they just have like their their quirks and then um well patterson accepts his wife as um someone who is expressive 
and all these different ways and there's 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 ways that they can uh that he eventually like accommodates but that yeah. i mean that's the magic trick of that movie and mm-hmm. seeing it at, at a young age is how it's able to maneuver around conflict and not and and sort of make it feel a little jarring mm-hmm. um but for here it's it's like the way that you can subdue a vampire performance um is also sort of a magic trick because we've seen uh this kind of mythology be operatic we've seen it um you know go bigger <laughs> we've seen it um you know uh we've seen it be interview with a vampire <laughs> Good movie. I just watched Which, that this uh, year. <laughs> oh, you did? Oh, yeah. yeah. I, oh, nice. boy. That movie made me <laughs> when I was 13. <laughs> it's a lot and of fun. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. And yet at the same time, when I say that that movie made me gay, that's a movie that I think tried to be sexy and kind of isn't. Well, you know? Well, I find so unnerving about it. Do I need to watch it before I watch the Interview with a Vampire TV show? I haven't seen the show. You can get that first season on Hoopla, yeah, I see. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, what I find really interesting about Interview with a Vampire is like it will like the scenes will start out like kind of that way where it is like kind of intimate, but then like there will be a moment where it changes it turns on a dime and it's like oh now this person's afraid and they don't like what's happening and they can't get out of it and it's really scary now. I find yeah. that like really interesting how the movie plays that tone uh, throughout. Um, it's kind of the opposite of this too because only lovers left alive they have that that whole safety net of we don't have to kill we can just get blood from. <laughs> You know Jeffrey Wright in Detroit, and uh, you know Tilda has the hookup with John Hurt in Tangier. Whereas yeah. Interview with the Vampire, the whole thing is you need to kill people. It's kind of the opposite of this movie entirely. And then um, getting into, I mean, then when it goes to at the ending, um, which I'm sure we'll get into. Um, how do we also feel about? Uh, I was just curious too because I was just thinking about this. I always really liked Mia Wasikowska even though yes. my fir- yes. my first exposure to her was in the Alice in Wonderland remake that Tim Ugh. Burton made which is horrible but and she, you know mm-hmm. I just kind of brushed that whole movie off as like Ugh, and didn't know who she Isn't was Isn't that awful for her? It's off Isn't I mean it's it, she doesn't get to do anything in that movie but then I saw around the time right before I saw this movie I started I, I know I've talked about the show maybe on this your own podcast before but she was on the first season of Entreatment where she played a teenager who attempted suicide and then she's basically forced into therapy by her mom mm-hmm. and she was like i didn't like i didn't bike into a car i like it was an accident my mom's being over uh dramatic and stuff like that and i i think that she has a real good sense of being kind of an either angsty and <clears throat> like not wanting to show it or a ditz or someone with a real dark side like i mean maps of the stars stoker stuff like that and i think there's a way this character could be ditzy and really off-putting and just completely stop yes. the movie dead in its she tracks she knows how to toe that line she knows so close to being irritating until yeah. but it, it just isn't yeah she, she also just has the perfect amount of screen time yeah. yes she's in the movie for like yeah. i want to say maybe 20 25 minutes tops like yeah. and still throws it off its axis which is so yeah. i think it's Sorry. much lower yeah. than 20 yeah. 20 minutes i think yeah. it's much lower than 20 minutes yeah and and yet like that character could be so insufferable but she somehow makes it <coughs> so funny. like mm-hmm. so so funny and mm-hmm. in a way that isn't just a one because you can tell that she is in i mean this this is the beauty of i mean what we've said a lot but Jarmus gives you just the right amount of information of 
She sent us signals through dreams. She's looking yeah. for us. She might be in trouble. She says she's hungry. She is my sister. Well, not by, you know, blood, but she is my sister type of thing. And then <laughs> this better not be like it was last time. And she's like, no, but she kind of, you know, she has the same type of hair that Tilda does. Yeah. She seems to be into sort of the weird type of, you know, she's watching that weird thing on YouTube from the 1960s. She seems to be, wanna be wanting to be into that same brand of, like, I don't want to say indie, but, like, you know, kind of, like, nostalgic type of hipster-isms. And, in fact, I think that Tilda has the same type of, like, colored bed sheets in her house that yeah. she does on her uh, on the skirt that she wears out to the bar. And there is something that is just so endearingly aloof and kind of charming about her. Is this sort of little sister about yeah. it? Yeah. copy. Like the family bed scene where she like climbs yeah. it. It's, it's like the thing where like she's yeah. like, she's yeah. not, I mean, she she wants to spend time with him, but also she like just has no sense of boundaries, like physically. Exactly. And yeah. And it, Especially when it comes to uh, to Adam and, yeah. to, and she's like, I want to hear her music. And, yeah, because they she shows up, she's playing his music, the which that song is please feel free to piss in the garden which rules <laughs> and then you know adam's immediately curmudgeony like don't you have you know this is my music you had no permission to you know you had no right to just dig into my personal stuff and tilda's like don't you know it's bad luck to just show up unannounced and she's like oh what do you believe in garlic too like yeah. that type of thing where you're kind of like yeah maybe they're being a little curmudgeony just let her in she's you know the youngest character we've seen so far who's a vampire you know and kind of you know, clearly ditzy, not like fully there, but you might think maybe Tom Hiddleston's going a little too far and then she pushes it too hard. And then they're like, okay, this is what we were talking about. Get the fuck out. She drank Ian. She drank Ian. Yeah, she drank and the Ian. other thing I she think ab thought about is when he does throw her suitcase and she goes, what the fuck? That's my stuff. But then you look around the room when she drank Ian, like all of his vinyls are destroyed. His guitar is destroyed. And I'm just kind of like, yeah, you do suck. Like, <laughs> you know? Um, you make the coupleness of it because you seemed like you had lived together forever that's another very nice thing to hear um it is as you say about surviving things in general life in general but uh but being together in love you know when a long relationship uh this one of course is many hundreds of years um sometimes all our relationships feel like they've been many hundreds of years even if they haven't been. Um, just rebooting one's connection, rebooting uh, the reasons to not get out a gun or get really depressed and, and sit in your underpants all day and do nothing else. Just that feeling of uh, being there in support. Uh, that was something that Jim and Tom and I talked about for a long time before we started shooting. And we were all so clear that what we wanted was a couple who really felt familiar. Familiar in the way that you do long after you've first been fancying each other and you know you just end up in bed for a long time. People who have really, really talked constantly about everything. You know, she says at one point, you love telling me stuff about all the fancy people you used to know. You know, that's one of those things she's learned to put up with and, uh, and love as well. We talked about all of that. We talked about the texture of a really, really long friendship. And, uh, and we also noticed that we hadn't necessarily seen that in a film. A man and a woman 
who obviously really fancied each other still, but really, really loved talking to each other as well. So, so we, we, we kind of you know, cut that off by the yard and laid it down. Um, one thing just about the DP. Uh, had you ever worked with him before? No, Yorick Lesseau. I had not, although Tilda had worked with Yorick maybe three times before. And I was first, uh, because of the nature of the production, uh, I had to use a, a director of photography from Europe or Germany or Europe, which of which there are many incredible ones. So it was a bit complicated. But uh, Tilda had highly recommended Yorick. I had seen his work. I had I talked with a lot of different directors of photography, but uh, I felt really comfortable after meeting him several times. And I also spoke at length with uh, Olivier Assayas, a uh, director whose work I love, who uh, had worked with Yorick on a number of films. So, and then meeting him was just fantastic. So I knew he's sort of the closest approach to a film of anyone I've worked with besides Robbie Mueller, in a way. And so he's very has a very similar approach that Robbie had, has. Um, but this film, I'm just curious, was really lit. I mean, it was lit so beautifully. And so I'm wondering how fast or how slow you worked. Well, it's the first time I worked uh, digi with digital photography. And... Uh, uh, we use this camera, the Alexis, which is, um, well, I don't like digital for several reasons. I don't like the uh, depth of field that's very deep. I don't like uh, exterior daylight and skin tones. Looks very not, not appealing to me. And these weren't problems <laughs> because we don't have any exterior <laughs> daylight shots. And we're shooting interiors with very low light. We were shooting, lighting these scenes with light bulbs and these little LED squares and uh, very, very minimal. So we didn't have that depth of field problem either. So the photography, I find it really beautiful. Beautiful. Lit very delicately because it's very small lamps. And it, it, we, as you mentioned before, maybe before we started, uh, the same year she has Stoker. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, sort of a, s not too different of a role i mean what i find funny about that performance and i like in that movie like how it is like darkly funny throughout is like how she does have like that sort of aloof quality even as the situations get more and more extreme like when she's like digging yeah. through her dad's <laughs> study and she like finds like in the desk like she like looks like oh, like sort of tilts her head a little bit and pulls out a gun and just sort of like looks at it for a moment before like focusing her attention like on something else it's just like well that's not a normal reaction or anything but she under underplays that, it so that is well the... yeah it's the rare case where like the character and the audience are like at two different speeds where you think it's like the opposite in in many cases but um what i find really interesting about her career is like allison wonder i mean she's probably not i'd imagine not really the main issue of that movie even absolutely not it was very popular at the time no but it's gonna be put it's, on it's her one of those... no 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 i it is going to, yes but it's like you would think that would be something that if it were to be put on her like she's just like she was in Alice in Wonderland and then some TV show and then just sort of like disappeared but then like that is the start of the 2010s but then like all these interesting directors 
wanted to work with her as we mentioned as we've covered before uh maps to the stars um you know she's she's also amazing much like, sorry real quick she's really amazing in um bergman island uh which came out a couple years yes, ago. yes yeah bergman island was yeah she's fantastic in that as the, in the last i still think movie. that was one of the worst career decisions you can make with that movie i think that Alice? i think that's i i think oh, Alice in wonder okay not bergman island. but on paper it made that... sense though Especially, did it well yeah at because that time well, sweeney todd was the like kind of a big deal for i mean i know people now don't consider that one of burton's best movies but at the time that movie was like it got a best picture nomination what was before it was todd? A christmas release um uh, corpse bride or what charlie and the chocolate factory planet of the apes charlie and the chocolate factory planet of the apes charlie yeah chocolate like factory. like Sw- yeah. sweeney yeah, yeah. todd was kind of like him like okay he's adapting this beloved musical but he's putting his whole spin on it and you know the whole burton aesthetic and he's not i think when you it. read that script and you see what they're <laughs> doing with that technology you have to be like oh no but like like i mean do you see- i guess she didn't she couldn't see yeah. it but like yeah. even that script but that but like with the amount of i don't know i i maybe you're right maybe it's hindsight but that's still just it, that I feel like that might prevent her from ever really being like I, I mean, I do remember Alice in Wonderland came out. That was the big... I think that was even before... It was around... It made, it made so much money. It made it so much money. It was it damaged her brand it, it, yeah. permanently. Avatar also was December of the year before that. That came out in, like, March. I don't remember if Clash of the Titans came out before or after that, but it was also a big, after big movie in 3D. It was another big movie in 3D, and it was Tim Burton, and I'm pretty sure Sweeney Todd was the one that preceded that. And Sweeney Todd was kind of Burton's comeback, not just in terms of critical graces, but also it was <coughs> with audiences. So, Have any of us seen Damsel? No. no. I, I think Dan Mecca is a the fan Zellner of The Zellner Brothers. One. Yeah, I think she's she's quite... Um, Did you say the Lucas Brothers? She, um, it's the Zellner brothers who did the like, oh. Kumiko. The I was, Hunter. I was, um, I was so confused for a second. I'm like, the <laughs> Lucas brothers involved with any kind of project Mia is in sounds crazy to me. Yeah. Okay, but um, but that is a good yeah. Well, it's it's her with Robert Pattinson in there in this comedy western, and she's in a mode that I've never seen her before of like, like sort of feisty and and. Um, like antagonistic towards him a lot of time. It's really they have a good report. You also do have movie. you do have to admire the fact that after Alice, you know, made a ton of money but was so not well received by audiences, and then even over time, I feel like audiences were like, "No, that was especially bad." Like it, people were kind of disappointed. I think like, "Ugh, it's not that good." And then people were like, "Oh, that was like just hideous and gross." She and was people like, "Kept seeing it." And, it was pe- crazy. and people sequel. kept seeing it and then made a sequel, but then she was like, fuck it, I'm gonna work with I'm gonna work with Park Chan Wook, I'm gonna work with Jim Jarmusch, I'm gonna work with David Cronenberg, I'm gonna work with Mia Hansen Love, I'm gonna work with Guillermo del Toro. I mean, she made a fucking effort to get back and, and make films that were not even gonna be big box office draws. Yes. Just like, you yeah. know. Yeah. Like where they're just good movies. Yeah. But it, it, and what's interesting too is like I know that she she had like a burnout because she works so much she does and now it's and now it's just short she she's done like you know your devil all the time and your oh. islands oh that movie but it's that movie ch- does her so dirty i'm it, sorry it i didn't mean to so bad i, it's, I hate it, that movie no, it's, it's not awful. it's not good but it's nice to see that she got to a place where it's like i am proud of what i've done in my career mm-hmm. and now i'm just like 
uh, when there's a script that interests me, I'll do it. Yeah. But then it's like, yeah. yeah. She probably doesn't like, want to do anything like Alice ever again. Ever again. I think again. that's for the best. Sure. Right. That's a whole, that's a big lesson. And and I do yeah. think for anyone who is interested, her her character in Entreatment is like just an incredible underrated show. They tried to bring it back with Uzo Aduba a couple years ago with the same people behind it. It didn't fully capture the same um the same spark as it did when it was on for a few years from the mid aughts to the early tens, but what Del Toro was she in? Crimson Peak. Crimson Peak. Oh, okay, that's right, because there's two female leads in that. That's yeah. Right. yeah. And if anything, that's the better version of kind of that's like Guillermo del Toro's Alice in Wonderland to a certain extent where she's kind of doing the same thing discovering you know this macabre world but she actually gets to play a character and have screen presence as opposed to like Alice in Wonderland does she even have any lines in that movie she's kind of just just there to react and like it's I've never seen how it. much oh, screen you, time you don't does she to. have how many lines of dialogue does she have <laughs> <laughs> sorry but she's also let's do the Bechtel test guys let's see if Alice yeah. in Wonderland but, Whoa. do you guys know that do you, have you guys seen that Twitter account that measures out screen time for like Oscar like stuff oh this no year? I have like, they should do that for I, I do have a question though <coughs> going back to the is her character annoying I mean obviously she's meant to be annoying but I still think she looks pretty fucking cool like even trying to fit in and being kind of a poser compared to everyone around her I don't know. I think she rocks the Jarmusch style. She's also hot. She's very hot. <laughs> She's gorgeous. Anyway, yeah. But even so, it's the, like one of those things. I can never tell now with hot people. It's just like, are you cool? Or are you just hot? Yeah. It's like impossible now. Yeah, like she stands out in terms of the way that her costumes are designed. With her colors are brighter than you know Tilda's and uh, Tom's. But she I, rocks the sunglasses pretty well. Oh, she yeah. I mean, her with that flask. I mean, even though the flask is like not cool for her to bring that out in front of anton's character because he's like hey can i have some of that and then they have to literally do the vampire i like how minimalist too very uh, uh, kind of a side tangent but with the vampire abilities they only use it to spare a spare effect and anytime they need to just use their vampire speed it just kind of comes out of nowhere when you don't expect it in a way that's not even <laughs> meant to draw attention it's genuinely meant to like keep either tom hiddleston from grabbing a gun or keep Anton Hilkin from drinking literal blood. Yeah, so. I, I, I like that you mentioned the sound effects, because that is something that, like, does stick out and everything, because I feel like so much of the comedy in this movie is understated, whereas I feel like that is, like, just, like, how heightened it sounds, like the whoosh, 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 like the wishing yeah, sounds. Yeah. Um, it's really funny with the flask scene, I feel like it somewhat takes the air out of me with the gun scene, because that scene is so loaded with, like, tension or anything when, like, she loaded what it is. But, goodness, uh... I, I, I wasn't so filled with, with tension. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. like, especially, like, his reaction to it, where he's so severe, he's like, don't ever fuck around like that again. And then, like, you know, he's, like, opening up about, like, how he's feeling. It's just like that, like, it's... That's, like, the one case where it kind of bumps up against me, the tones of, like, that sound effect sounds, like, so cartoonish, whereas, like, the moment of that, that the emotions of that scene are, like, so weighty, I feel like. Uh, but that's just, like, the one case mm-hmm. where, like, kind of, like, I'm thinking, uh, it doesn't, it's not, like, a huge thing, but it's, like, the one thing that, like, I would say is, like, just, like, a little quibble I have. I actually certain. love it, because I think that's kind of the movie acknowledging that it is, in a way, on paper, they're vampires, and it is a little silly, but it's fully um, committing to it. I kind of love True. that it's it's the one point where it is like, yes, we are a movie about vampires for a second. Not like, you know, and then I think ultimately 
the fact that it's then followed up by, in my opinion, the most heartfelt moving point of the movie where Tilda says, how can you live for so long and still not get it? And, yeah. you know, you could, you know, these, it, it, it's these scenes, like, obviously the world is sad, but you could be filling these moments with, you know, friendship and nurturing warmth and dancing. Like, I find that it could be, because I think that silliness of the wish wish and her, it could come off so corny, you know? But I find that to be kind of the movie just unveiling just how it is a little silly, yeah. but we're completely mm-hmm. committing to it. And I find that to be so beautiful in its own weird way. I like that read. It's a f- yeah. I, I do too. It is one of those things though, it just depends on the intention. Like, are you intending for that moment to stay in that tone? Or are you trying to but or are you trying to add like what you're talking about, um, Charlie. Um, I think I think it's one of those things where it's success. It's successful in a, in a certain way, um, but it depends on what they were kind of intending to do with it. I mean, it doesn't really, but to me, it's just like mm-hmm. well, I, you know, just what was the choice there? Um, I I think what I love about this movie is that it's not preoccupied with the vampire rules. It's not preoccupied with, you know, you know, like, oh, you need to be invited to come in. That They spend two seconds on that. And then garlic, oh, yeah, it doesn't really work. Who cares? Uh, wood, oh, yeah, it kills, it kills a vampire if it goes in a heart. Fine. Uh, they need blood for sustenance. Okay, cool. Uh, they get high off of it. They, they, these are things that are, like, on the background, background and add to it. But the thing they focus the most on what does it mean to be a vampire and I think inherently the most interesting part and the thing you can get the most thematic meat from is the immortality. Mm-hmm. What and how, how, I think how focused this movie is in depicting that immortality. In other vampire shit, they'll just be like, oh yeah, he, uh, f- you know, he was f- buddies with Lincoln for a hot second. Here's an old photo of him. There you go. That's, that's the immortality. Um, I don't know why he's from New York. I like this um, vampire's <laughs> Brooklyn construction um, worker. Yeah. But, like, in this, it's more detailed. It's like, okay, what do you do with that time? How does that alter your perception of things? Okay, with, with Hiddleston, is completely devalued and basically decapitated any kind of hope or optimism he's had with how scientists have been treated mm-hmm. and how any moments in re- moments in human evolution whether it be intelligence or technology has been squandered so vehemently that it makes you lose any hope of us solving anything or figuring out this shit or tilda being so knows the name and aunt knows the latin root of any creature or any plant and obviously, you know, has val- values that stuff and values that history there and her being well-read and appreciating literature um, and her knowing all those languages. Like, you can tell because what you do with immortality tells, it, it gives you a sense of who you are. Mm-hmm. What do you choose to focus on? Do you focus on, ch- do you focus on technology? Do you focus on science? Do you focus on, med- you know, medicine? What is part of you? You have 
endless time at your disposable. What do you do with it? Not what other people do with it. What do you do with it? And that's telling about your character. So he's a so he's decided to do music and technology and um, science. She decided to you know language and linguistics and literature and art. Um, I think that's it's so important because that is so inherently what we all think about at every given moment is how much fucking time we have and what are we going to do with it? That's what we're all freaking out about 24 fucking seven. At least that's for me. Mm -hmm. I am always like, what am I doing with my time left? It's not guaranteed. Am I wasting it? What the fuck am I doing? I want to do all these things. I want to live so much. I want to learn. I want to amass knowledge and hobbies and I want to feel complete. I feel so inadequate with the time I've been given because I feel like there's only so much more. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years more that I could live in the sense of what I could do with that time. And it's so limited and it's something I freak about freak out about all the fucking time, even just the time in a given day. What did I do with it? I did nothing with it. Or I I didn't do enough with it. I could have learned this. I could have learned that. And so with the film so focused on that and the how it becomes just a part of a of a vampire's life, it's almost, you know, it's like mundane all that time. How they say the word centuries like it's a it was like last fucking Friday. Yeah. Um and I think just and it doesn't get into the point it doesn't get into that part of I think with all like immortal storylines is I've seen so many people die that's of course sad but at that point you become numb to it mm-hmm. and you can only think about it in big picture and or the person right next to you those are the only two ways you can think about anything he's not crying when Ian's dead or feels horrible guilt he's like that sucks I guess we gotta go dump him now he seems sadder um, by this guitar being broken than Ian actually being dead next to him on the couch, yeah. which is a really funny Absolutely. bit of like visual. Because humor. well, it'll last. It'll technically last longer. And <laughs> I also love the moment where Tilda says, "But look how beautiful it is inside." <laughs> like That's I love right. that moment where she's like, yeah, "Look what he did to my Gibson, but look at the craft and the artistry in here." And I and and. and Real quick side tangent, I think that that's another part of where his depression probably comes from is, like, a lack of attachment to humans because he probably knows they're going to pass. He's seen so many people Oh, die, yeah. You know, oh, like, yeah. why get attached to someone even in terms of friendship if I know, you know, especially in my immortality, that's going to be, like, you know, snap your fingers, they're gone type of thing. Well, so. I think he's so disgusted by them, he can't even consider it consider that even with yep. ian he puts him at like a distance mm-hmm. because it's not that he i don't think he's even afraid to, to have an attachment he's just can't deal with them anymore he just feels like they've ruined everything even though they've had so many chances but i think another thing that this film supposes about time is that almost nothing is immortal nothing lasts that long mm-hmm. science changes day to day uh, philosophy changes day to day. Our morals change day to day. The only thing that is truly timeless, and even then you could argue, but the only thing that really lasts and doesn't change really is art. 
-hmm. it's music it's literature Mm -hmm. there's that is the most timeless thing we have in our culture when we do you know when we look at archaeology and we look at cultures how do we analyze that culture we look at its art how do they make pottery how uh they create how they build buildings how they create statues i mean yes of course we're interested in what they discovered and you know their science at the time but when you look at culture and who are the who are these people as a people mm-hmm. you look at their art and so some so they're obsessed with time and they you know tilda knows the year of every single thing she touches because years are so important to her because they catalog things and they chron- you know chronological like they're it, it makes her feel like she has lived in each moment each year she can mm-hmm. recall them so specifically. There's even that but moment also, where she grabs the guitar with her eyes shut and can sense what it absolutely. is. Absolutely. Yeah. And she knows what those are the moments also. that <clears throat> Those are the moments that make this movie for me. Mm-hmm. And I think what really and I think what really lasts and what to, and why I connect with Hiddleston in a lot in a lot of ways is that his whole goal really at that point his reason for living is his true love but also to put something out there that lasts yeah. same thing with um john hurt is that he the reason he says you know it sucks that you're you know you're dying but you got it out there it's part of our history now it's mm-hmm. part of our life and not that's even all with, you can do and not even with their names attached to it they, they'd rather it go into the culture and be you know completely absorbed without their own fame i mean John Hurt's death scene where you have that picture of William Shakespeare and he just goes illiterate zombie bastard and you find out that based on this movie's logic that Christopher Marlowe was the one who probably wrote Shakespeare's stuff. Well he said he wrote Hamlet. Yeah he wrote Hamlet so yeah like I find that also to be so interesting is it's not even like these vampires are power hungry in what you're saying in terms of gaining fame and uh, uh, attention through their art that they put out. They just want the culture itself to thrive based on it. You know, Tom Hiddleston doesn't want his name on his music. He hates when people come to his house and which, which is, I mean, it's just, it is interesting about legacy. Like Adam can't have a legacy. Mm -hmm. Like he can't live a life like a complete birth to death. Like, all these people that he admires and name drops throughout the movie. Like, maybe uh, he tends to romanticize um, who they are and, and, and their contributions. Because it's like, that's all you can do to when, when you're immortal is just romanticize people's um, contributions to art. He cannot contribute. <laughs> he can only produce. And like Ian says, he's more um, famous because he's reclusive. Mm-hmm. Uh, like all great artists. But it's like he's, yeah. He's not gonna. <laughs> he can't. He can't live a life. Yeah, but and he, he is so, contributing. It's, His it's art so is out there. It's, it is there for consumption. It is it breathes and lives, and people listen to it and they feel from it. It does. It is a contribution. It's just not something that he can claim. But it is something that I mean. That's his whole thing. Is that he wants. The only reason he's he views that the only reason or like the only way he can make any of this time worth it is to put something that lasts long and to feel a part of the tapestry of culture of people's lives. And so him claiming credit doesn't change any of that. He is a part of them, whether they like it or whether they know him or not. He is part of our world, a part of our life. So yeah. I, I, I I think that's just those are the parts of the film that really just make me like it. it, it 
it fills me with all this joy and uh, contemplative behavior of just thinking about how we interact with time mm-hmm. and what we what is the what do we do with our time here? What do we make? Yeah. What do we produce? What is what lasts beyond us? Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, we're talking about this, and like you, Clay, you're talking about having these concerns that that this movie's expressing. We're all like, you know, we're all we're all like relatively young and everything, like in our twenties and thirties and whatnot and everything. You know, it's interesting to think about Jim Jarmusch expressing these concerns. I mean, I imagine these are concerns that uh, that become more and more the forefront of one's mind as they age. And he's like, what, like you know, fifty nine or sixty probably when he's making this movie. It's like it is interesting to think about, like one's like uh, I I don't know much about Jarmusch's personal life and everything, but it's interesting that like I I, I just find it interesting when like you look at when a director is dealing with these kinds of ideas at like a point in their career and everything like it would be, I, I don't know if this is exactly stuff he was thinking about when he was like making movies in like his 20s and 30s and everything but it's like when you find out he's making this movie he's like 60 or whatever it's like yeah that makes sense uh yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah um yeah uh that's really interesting he is yeah you're you're right you're dead on uh now he's he's currently 70 yeah and he's probably looked. Uh, I mean, he has like he's like a, a white haired man. And he's always got the yeah. snow white. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's looked sixty for yeah. for as bad as long he's been making movies. And then uh, the the thing that also I think is the most hopeful, arguably even more than Tilda's speech, and then that beautiful dance sequence uh, that she has with Hiddleston, which is also just joyous and wonderful, is. Um, when they are, I mean, ultimately when they are left with, okay, Mia Waskowska drank Ian, they're going to trace Ian back to the bar that we were at, they're going to trace them back to my place, we have to go to Tangier, John Hurt has a supply, John Hurt's been sick, and is contaminated, Christopher Marlowe, who has lived centuries, is now dying, and then he dies in front of them, and that fucking kills all of them, especially Tilda, who's had a bond with them, and they're at their what are we going to do moment where they are then almost in a sense not to the same extent because they're not the same type of character but kind of in a similar boat that Mia Wasikowska's in where I'm really really hungry I don't know where to go all that and then even in the midst of them starving they see that performance by Yasmin um, uh, I'm sorry Jesus Christ I had it up uh, Yasmin Hamdan which is she's a new artist a Lebanese artist just performing and like they are like at the most at at the lowest of the lows we've seen at that movie and then that one musical performance happens that is literally a showstopper the whole movie just stops for that one performance that is so incredible and beautiful and uh Heartfelt. That's what I was thinking of when I was thinking like it's nearly trip hop. Yeah. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 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 <clears throat> um and then they even have that moment of, oh, her name's Yasmin, she's Lebanese, she's going to be really famous and he goes, god, I hope not. She's way too good for that. Or uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> her a bird, which is very funny. Yeah. And I think about how but then I thought about how, you know, Christopher Marlowe the character has just died. And how Tilda even says, don't you want to, like, kind of, like, let out into the world that you've been still creating art secretly this whole time? It would be it would be such thrilling chaos. And I'm just kind of like, it made me think about how it kind of inverts the the very nature of these characters saying only 
you know, the world isn't as good as it used to be. No art, nothing, there's nothing good coming from the young people in the world. And then you get that beautiful musical sequence. And then it kind of gives them a little bit of hope to keep going. I think that that's ultimately Jarmusch and the film itself saying, don't think we're just, you know, poo-pooing on contemporary culture because there is good stuff out there still. You just have to look for it, which in a way is kind of like, you just kind of have to look that's for good Jim timeless. Jarmusch films. Yes. And timeless, yeah. Yeah. you know, yeah. that song that she sings, which is just incredibly gorgeous. You could listen to that at any point at any time and you'd still feel the power of it. So uh, that's why the ending of the movie works so well for me. Yeah. 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 I, I, well, I'm, I, it's interesting. I like, and I think this is what's interesting and we could talk about with this movie and it's the, the thing I brought up with Jarmusch is like, I think he has affection for his characters while also like poking fun at them at the same time. And I think the way he sort of walks out line uh, is really, is really, uh, it's more difficult to pull off i think it it, it sounds it, it uh it's not as easy as it possibly sounds um uh i i, I think the things you're talking about like uh, that this movie's optimistic about i think that's that's really interesting and I, I agree with it but i do think this movie is um uh a little bit grim in some ways about how it deals with its characters and how they move throughout the world and everything how like they are like yes i think you, you, the point that you make about how like yeah there is um there's a lot of things wrong with the world, and but there is good things. I think also the thing that the movie is uh, a little bitter about is that like these characters are often talking about how bad the world is, but they are either not doing anything to really make it better, or they or they are ex- using the fact that it's not a great place to sort of get away from things, like the fact that they're using mm. an abandoned factory to like you know bury Ian uh, in a vat <laughs> of very acid, good point. and yeah. um and also um you and uh. You know the fact that like there's not many people around. It's like that's the thing that they benefit from and everything. And you know it's it's a thing that I was maybe th- I I don't know if I would have thought about this one if it hadn't been for the class I was taking where I was like we had to like talk about like representations of like you know cities and film and everything and like you know actually looking at like the real world histories of like those kind of places and everything. But I just get it's it's interesting <laughs> how and and <coughs> there is a respect for culture, but then like there is also there's also the question of like well, is that maybe, like, a surface-level engagement of, like, the culture that they're dealing with and everything? The fact that they're always using gloves when talking to each other or going out into the world. It's, like, sort of, like, maybe passing through is that, it. Is that a thing? Is that a vampire thing? The gloves thing? Is I don't know what that was I, for. Was that maybe to cover up their veins or something? I, or their... me, I, I kind of found it to be, like, an intimacy thing, almost. That's a good point. Yeah, that works. That's um, they're also from a different century like there's from centuries ago where people wear gloves more yeah. often i guess yeah. but no i just that, but it, there was so much that. emphasis on those gloves mm-hmm. very interesting to me yeah mm-hmm. and it's um uh the it's also funny that like that's like a cutesy thing that uh swinton and hills to do when they first uh reunite in, in detroit but then when mia waskaska tries to do it i mean he just like doesn't he just gives her the cold shoulder she's like oh you know may i take off my gloves and he just like doesn't give her any any kind of respect or anything um but um, also the thing of like, yeah, they they love culture and everything. But like when they're first like fleeing to Tangier after Ian has uh, has been has been murdered and everything, like it's like uh, no luggage. And then like he's just like, what about my guitars? Like I'm not gonna be able to take them. It's just like, oh darling, I'll get you the loveliest guitar in Tangier and everything. It's like <laughs> yeah. there is like sort of a way in which like 
they do respect these antiques that they collect and everything, but then it's also like, well, guess we'll just get a new one and sort of like plunder our resources of like this other I, culture and everything. I mean, that's maybe, I found that I mean, so you... sad though because the first yeah. half of the movie spends so much, especially the opening scene where Ian's dropping off those three separate guitars. I found that so sad that you know it, it is it is interesting how it can balance abandon them. Yeah, the yeah, like the look of like to look at antiques as disposable because like they'll be anywhere it's like they've seen antiques throughout history they've seen antiques become antiques but then it is like that's that's something that matters more than like a human life is this is this tool to create music yeah i mean like that, that's, i think the movie's aware of it. it's really funny oh yeah, yeah, yeah i totally, mean i mean you, totally that's a it's played for comedy yeah. it's it's you talking about the surface level type of stuff and how everything's abandoned i mean i think that the film is fully aware of their surface level beauty and bittersweetness of detroit being kind of a lonely city yeah you know very abandoned and isolated i mean there's also that scene where they're just back to back just looking at this abandoned theater that's been turned into a parking garage and it is just stunning to look at architecturally and so gorgeous and they're talking about like god can you imagine if this is a concert venue or a theater or something like that i think there is something that Jarmusch is doing that is kind of like, yeah, this is very aesthetically pleasing on a surface level. And then when you get down into the, the, the history of it, it is something a little sadder, Yeah. but then that's also kind of vampires in general is just their lost memories in general. Like, I don't feel like this film is using vampires in a, aren't vampires cool kind of way. Just like it's using them as vessels to examine, you know, times gone past and, how you know i mean not to like it's it it makes it sound way less cool but like i mean that's kind of why we go to museums right i mean like like just kind of absorb the beauty of the history of it and um but also know that like this was taken from you know uh you know i mean it kind of goes into everything that we're talking about about the importance of history the importance of um time's gone past which is why i think you know and clay you mentioned this too about how people are only living in the now people aren't even absorbing everything that people have done and sacrificed to get them to this point it's always about what is current now and i think there's something about these abandoned locales that are um just there there is a sadness to them and there's also a beauty and there's also something pretty cool in a hipster kind of jarmushian way that is just like wow why don't people talk about this sort of stuff more why don't what is wrong with people not appreciating certain things that are just right in front of us i think patterson in some ways does certain things in a similar way of like you look at it from a surface level it seems pretty mundane and (laughs) you know kind of boring if you just look at it in a certain way but there's beauty in the small moments of everyday life just like there's beauty in the small moments of things that people have abandoned and don't appreciate anymore i mean it and it's cozy in a way there's a, a certain coziness in the melancholy atmosphere of this movie mm-hmm. that is so hard to pull off without being trickly treacly or even over um explanatory in a way it's it's it uses images sounds editing techniques to make it i mean the editing too there's lots of fade ins and fade outs and uh whatnot to make you kind of dreamy in a way and kind of like you're a little bit high but not too much like there's never there's certain edit you know what i mean like just when they seem like they could go in over the edge into the editing of like 
certain images framed on top of each other they never fully go that way they make it just hypnotic and um transfixing enough i i think that there's uh and and it kind of is that's kind of what being alive is kind of like right just kind of balancing the loneliness and sadness with the joy and the happiness and i also just love that these characters you know have each other to you know and they don't even need an explanation of this is where we first met they do have a wedding photo at one point where they're like oh we were yeah. so young but just like in patterson too and they look exactly the same their third yeah. wedding is what they say it is yeah. their <laughs> third <laughs> wedding yeah but there is just a a sense of like you know we can get through this together and the, you know she even says you've been pretty lucky in love though if i may say so and they don't even have to explain i met you on this day or something like that it's yeah. just like they just see the beauty of the world together in opposite ways but in ways that counteract you know like if anything tilda makes more compromises for him than she does for her <laughs> so oh yeah but there is a certain graciousness and uh warmth to her character that i think both hiddleston and the film itself recognize that he is so lucky to fucking have her and at the same time she just loves him for who he is because like you said clay she never denies any of the sadness and angst or anything like that is unjustified she understands it but she sees that there is an understanding in that pain and she's well, she has a line where she says you know you've been lucky in your love life yeah basically yeah if i yeah. may say so yeah. i think she says after if that that say. is so funny yeah Ugh. yeah yeah and yeah, it's it's interesting to um, the the edits that you bring up, like sort of like the, the 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 fades and sort of over like superpositions, like you know having like one image on top of the other and everything, like having like to show like sort of the the psychic connection that like Eve and Adam have with each other. It's interesting watching Patterson the other night where there's like the scenes where sort of psychedelic. Well, well and the scene where Adam Driver in Patterson is like you know writing his poetry by the by the waterfalls and anything, and he. Then like you know just it's not even like outright say it in the poem although i think it is like a love poem is what he calls it but like you see like then like superimposed of that is like his wife's hair like like matches almost with like the waves of the water door coming over and it's just like so interesting to think about how like you find like i mean yeah like finding the beauty in like the sort of ordinary places and anything that remind you of like a person you love or that means a lot to you and anything it's like really mm -hmm. it, it is really sweet and also and, yeah it's really lovely yeah, yeah and and the idea too of like finding something wonderful i mean it's interesting with uh with both the uh, i mean well it's funny with stranger to paradise and, and this it's like you know characters like you know sort of traveling from place to place you know as like they try to like find like uh find happiness to be and and uh and escape their problems in, in some way uh while also kind of struggling to outrun themselves uh it's interesting with patterson where it's like about a guy who likes to sort of just been lived in the, in the same place uh his whole life but like then finds like beauty and like the the ordinary everyday familiar yeah. stuff um yeah, I don't know. George is interesting how yeah, like, he, he'll, he'll, like he kind of changes approaches to these things. Yeah, yeah. yeah like Patterson and uh, Only Lovers are sort of on opposite ends. Totally. And how they yeah. treat time, like he's very yeah. He's, yeah. he's I don't know. He's very attuned to the settings. His he 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 definitely makes films around settings. I mean, Mystery Train. Mm -hmm. you yeah, know, that's true. You know, Mystery Train with. Um, Jersey, with, you know, and Jersey, yeah, Mystery Train with Tennessee, 
Pat- Patterson, New Jersey. You know, here, I mean, we haven't even... Down by Law, New Orleans. Down by Law, New Orleans. I mean, it, this is the other thing that is interesting. It's, I know we've talked a lot about Detroit in this episode, but Detroit and Tangier could not be more totally opposite, like, locales huh. in this movie. I mean, like, and he makes Tangier just as romantic and beautiful and gothic in certain ways, even though it's completely different. I mean, um, and then, yeah, like, he's always attuned to the environments around him and finds the beauty even in the smallest details without it being overly showy you know it just yeah. he just lets his characters and the settings breathe and that in and of itself allows you and it respects you as a viewer too to kind of soak in everything within the frame in a way that is never like you kind of have to tune in, you know, and, and Clay, you also mentioned ghost dog with New York city. I mean, New York city in the 1990s, right. he never, he never holds your hand, but he always is inviting you. If that makes any sense. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. Yeah. He treats it. He treats the audience with that. He presents it. It's sure. like, you don't like, this is my sure. view of this city and love it or hate it, but this is what it is. And this is how I would picture it and show it to the world. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah, he's like a, like, I mean, it almost feels sometimes like he's giving us a tour, especially when he's giving fucking Ava a tour, and like with the museum and the different places and explaining how that used to be a factory and all this kind of stuff. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Like, yeah, he's not like, he's not saying, hey, this is everything that's here and this is what it's all about. It's like, hey, here's some stuff. I this is what I, you know, I appreciate about it. This is how I view the city. Mm-hmm. Fuck fuck with it or don't. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Very much like how a friend would make a movie, I guess, like showing to showing you the friend the movie as if you both already know New Orleans, Detroit, New York City. Mm-hmm. Uh sort of deal. It's it's very it's very much like a like close there's a cl- there's a closeness to each location that that's uh that's rare to find with with uh with someone as singular as as Jarmish. I'm also of the belief that you can't learn about Washington DC by going to the nation's capital. You can't learn Biased. about New you can't I know. You can't learn about New York City by going to this uh, Statue of Liberty. You can't um, I don't know what uh, like you can't go to you can't learn about Philadelphia by just going to see the Liberty Bell. You have, you have to see the other shit. You have to see the either the grimy or just the kind of rundown or just the stuff that isn't presented to every tourist imaginable because that is through a filter that's mm-hmm. pres- that, that is like cleaned it's polished it's sterilized and a lot of that shit is cool but you're not gonna that, that does not tell you anything about where you actually are you have to go down to the rundown parking lot you have to go to those abandoned factories you have to go you have to go to a street that not everyone's on you have to go to a bar that's not that doesn't charge twenty dollars a drink like that's where you learn mm-hmm. about what the city is, not this presentable tourist crap bullshit. And so that's what I really like with what um, with, with what Jarmusch does when he presents these places. He, it's not he doesn't show the same five fucking landmarks, so people are like, I know where that is. Yeah. Like it, like if he made a movie in, set in San Francisco, maybe he has. I haven't seen it, but he's not going to show you a million shots of the so. Golden State Bridge. He's no. going to show. He's not going to show you uh, like. Um, What's the winding road? Never mind. Uh, <laughs> he does show you, but, um, to your point, he also shows you Jack White's house where he grew up, and it's just a normal fucking house. And what I love exactly. is they don't make any big statement about 
and Jack White used Detroit to, you know, use all these influences. It's just kind of like, no, Jack White just came from here, and, you know, it's lonely and kind of isolated and dark, but, but like, from the way that we're showing it, but it's just also just showing you, like, it's not just a gimmick of, hey, Jack White grew up here. It's kind of like, by the point that they drive to the house, it's just kind of like, oh, you think this place is so isolated and grim? Well, hey, he came from here, and he absorbed everything that we're seeing right now, and he flourished, you know? Like, and right. it's... I like that there's, you know, it's just an adorable Tilda being like, oh, little baby Jack White. Like, that's so cute. Mm -hmm. And then, but takes everything that you're seeing of the city and, you know, is just kind of like, that's just a fact. That's just, you know. And really humanizes these kinds of artists that uh, uh, is revered by Adam in particular. Mm -hmm. That that it's like anyone just can come from a short drive away from from Adam's house. Mm -hmm. And it it completely demystifies uh anything that he would he would he would conjure about yeah about his influences um even the bar that they go to is pretty well populated and seems pretty lively it's just that the reason he doesn't want to go there is because it's populated and lively you know right exactly exactly (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, but it's not like it's not like the bar or whatever it's not like it's not like there's like crazy lighting it's just a bar it's just a bar um that's where you're gonna meet people who actually live there and not like again that's what i mean like if someone told me what how can i learn about washington dc sure all the museums are great but that's not going to give you any sense of the real cultural history there Mm -hmm. that's not going to tell you who actually lives there you're going to meet a whole bunch of other tourists who are looking at the same fucking museum or the people who go to school near there but you're not going to get a sense of the actual fucking city Mm -hmm. yeah and one thing i should also maybe clarify too is um you know the things that they're uh the way they just sort of like comment on the decay i mean uh or the so the so-called decay of the, the the city um it's also like you know I, I one could also read it like the movies um the movie's not saying that this is the adam's view of the city is uh is accurate because he never leaves his fucking house like he, he leaves like maybe no, like once every right. couple of weeks yeah. to, to get blood or anything and like drives at night when there's no one around so he's not really engaging with the world uh I- yeah. I mean, even John Hurt says... He's just as much a curmudgeon as the Stranger in Paradise. Uh, yeah. Cast. Yeah. <laughs> even John Hurt comments on, I don't know why you live, you two live so far away from each other, considering how much you love each other. And you probably think it's because, you know, who knows? I love that the film doesn't fill that in for you, but, like, you look at Tangier and the way it's filmed and how, you know, it's 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 still, like, not, you know filled with people but you can see why tilda based on her character and what it's set up is there and then you can also see by the way he films detroit and the loneliness and the you know how it's a little more run down why adam is probably there and i'm assuming that adam it's adam being a curmudgeon and staying there for you know the superficial detroit reasons and she's just kind of like fine, I'll come visit you every now and then. I'm happy here or something. I I don't know, but yeah. the, but the movie doesn't. That's not the point of the movie, and that's not what it's trying to say. But it, I do find it interesting that she has to come to him there, and then it's only until something goes wrong there that they then go to Tangier, and then turns out, hey, there's also something going on there. Just happened to be bad luck. You know, it's not yeah. even anything. It's all really bad luck. It's just. Hell, Mia Wasikowska, it's not even a product of their environment. Mia Wasikowska comes from L.A. He keeps making, uh, 
you know, Hiddleston keeps making fun of how it's zombie central, which I do think Jarmusch probably feels similarly <laughs> to that. Oh, uh, you know, have you seen his hair? He yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like the that over commercialism <clears throat> kind of infiltrating the 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 lonely artistry of Detroit, and then them going back to Tangier, and it's just a coincidence that you know John Hurt happened to have contaminated you know drink from contaminated blood you know like it's just but then i do find that even when tilda is brought down onto you know the level of what are we gonna do we're starving she has that moment of fuck it give me all your money baby and goes and buys him this beautiful loot that is also what uh joseph van weisem i'm i'm i never know how to pronounce his name that's the instrument that he typically plays um Mm -hmm. And even if they're like, we might die in like, you know, a couple hours from starvation, she's like, I'm going to go make you happy. And it's yeah. just so awesome. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. so beautiful. Uh, and again, the sensuality thing. that the, There's something so hot about her just saying, give me all your money, baby. And him just slapping it in her gloved palm. That's just so like. It's true. Yeah. Ugh. Very true. Still feel bad for that couple at the end, though. Like, <laughs> like uh, the, the, the hey, they, they got turned. They got they're turned. Didn't they? Well, they didn't kill it. Yeah, they're gonna be. Friday they are coming. They see them in love. They they just. I mean, they assume like they seem pretty passionate about one another. You know, at least they're not ending their existence on Earth. They'll be like, hey, they'll still be there. They'll have each other. They're not gonna mm. drink them. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, do we want to get to favorite scene? Yes, please. I have to run to the bathroom real quick. I'm so sorry. Okay. No, no, no. We'll just save you for last. Okay. Um, Yeah. Um, If you guys have a scene in mind, it sticks out as a favorite from uh, Only Lovers Left Alive. Um, I think Jim Charmish. I think it's the scene. Twenty-four. You can hear me stalling. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I totally no, 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 no. That's funny. That's funny. I think it's um, probably the beginning interaction with um, uh, Hiddleston and Yelkin, um, Adam and Ian. I think. I think that perfectly kind of lays down the tone of the film. There is that sadness that Charlie is talking about, just how he identifies every single guitar and just the kind of, yeah, there's this real melancholy and kind of feels like someone's at the end of their rope. I mean, that's when he also asked for the wooden bullet and it has all those like, you know, the kind of not gimmicks, but yeah, like the, oh yeah, I saw Eddie Cro- Cochran play with this once, you you know, uh, on YouTube. Like that's a funny joke and also tells him about his immortality, but also just the way he thinks about time and how nostalgic, but also uninterested he is with the modern day. Um, and I think Yelkin's really good in that scene in general. Um, I, I, just the kind of mundaneness of it, but also just the emotionality of it. This seems like a very important meeting, even though it's, it's like, do they just sort of like, yeah, here's some guitars. Oh, you want a wooden bullet? Okay. Um, but it, it feel it would just... It's with, the stuff they make guitars out of. Right. It, it just it starting that way makes it feel important and necessary and really interesting um, and it really perfectly kind of encapsulates the tone of the film from then on 
Um, and I, I think it also just shows how brilliant of an actor Hilston is in this, um, just with yeah. his body language and his, um, yeah, how he, how, because you have to, sh- he has to, you have to also see that flip of that melancholy and then the moment Ava or Eve comes in, um, you have to see what changes in him. Like, what are the, uh, like, how he kind of becomes a different person around her. So you have to establish that sadness and that loneliness. Um, so yeah, that, that's my that's my favorite scene. Certainly, nineteen Really nice, Ian. Thank you. Cool. All the electronics, everything are original, of course. I plugged them in, made sure they all work. Just what the doctor ordered, as they say. I shall call him William Laws. It's a male? This one is, yeah. Who's William Laws? Oh, just some old 17th century English guy. Wrote some great funeral music. Then during the English Civil War, he was casually shot dead by a parliamentarian. Wow. That sucks. Adam, check this one out, man. This one... Is a very strange (laughs) hagstrom from 1960. Swedish. Yeah. Look at this thing. (laughs) Look at the back. Mother of toilet seat. (laughs) Seriously, man. Wow. And this one, check this out. It's a silver tone from the very early 60s with an amp built into the case. Fantastic. Right? Yeah. (laughs) And? Oh, that's a lovely Gretsch, Chad Atkins. Mm Mm-hmm. 6120. Double cutaway. <laughs> I once saw Eddie Cochran play one of these. Though he had the front pickup modified to a Gibson P90. Wait, you actually saw Eddie Cochran play? Yeah, on YouTube. <laughs> All right, of course, man. I feel like I want to go next because I also have an Ian and C in because Anton Yelkin just, you know, his presence is felt even when he's not in the frame. Uh, when they first go to the bar and it's him, Eva, Eve, Adam, there's just like an awkwardness there. And I love that quartet. I think it's a very interesting combo of factors. Um, uh, yeah, like Brett had mentioned, like when he messes up Eva's name, and uh, and he's like very offended, he takes it very personally. Um, yeah, I, and and how like almost misplaced, um, 
Eva and Ian are compared to Adam and Eve. I feel like it's pretty funny, but yeah, yeah, that whole vibe is is really really cool. Wow, man, this is this is so great. You know, I I couldn't get this guy to just come out and see some live music. You know? Did you like it, Adam? Yes. Adam, you you, you want to meet White Hills, man? No. Cool, man. Read you. I'm so sorry, it's so rude of me. Could, could I get you a, a beer or anything, Eve? Do you want some drink? I'm Eve, she's Eve. I'm so sorry, Eve. Can I get you something, a, a beer? No, thank you, nothing. Ava? Uh, oh, very nice, you brought your own. What is that, Jägermeister? Where did you get that? I felt it at home before we left. At home? You mean at my house? Yeah, I want some. No. I'll have some. Do, do you think I can get in on that? Sure. Cool. Oh, man. That was like some martial arts type shit, man. This guy is just it's amazing, man, you know? He's brilliant. He is brilliant. You know, I can't tell anyone about him. How weird is that? Like, I had to sign a confidentiality agreement and everything. Yeah, that, that, that is, those are two really good scenes. I think, um... Is it true? I do love him. I do love all the scenes with Ian. Uh, but, but I do think yeah. the scene... I think just because I find it really funny, like all the jokes that are in it. Um, I guess I just like I think of like funniest scene is um, the scene when um, uh, Ava wakes up uh, Adam and Eve uh, like early and everything, and he's like really, <laughs> she's just like bugging them when they don't want when they just want to sleep. Um, I just find that dynamic really funny, and then like she finds just like the little jokes that are hidden in the scene that like are just kind of like underplayed, like um, when she's when Ava when Eva's watching the. Uh, the French vampire TV special and everything. Yeah, And, like, cool. the way that, um, that Eve is able to, like, she's able to, like, date, like, the guitarist and everything. She's just like, oh, it's the French TV special from, like, IC75 or whatever. Or, like, she says, like, the exact year like, she even does that with TV. I just find that, like, so funny that she's able to yeah, break yeah. that power <laughs> out for that. And then, um, it also contains my favorite, I mean, it's, like, a, it's an easy joke in a way, but I just find this very funny. It's like, we're, oh, we're going out then. We are not going out. Then a hard cut to, like, the club exterior where it's, like, they've gone out and everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just, yeah. Like, I find that so funny. It also just shows, like, just how powerless this guy is when he's, like, you know, like, dealing with these people who are, like, you know, uh, very different energies than him. Uh, mm -hmm. yeah, no, yeah. I just find that scene so funny. Uh, yeah. Very much the dad in, in that. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Also, one other line uh, that I just like—I I thought was funny. It's like this is just because it's just stuff I find funny in movies. When um, when uh, Eve is taking the flight uh, to Detroit initially early on in the movie, there's the scene where she like uh, the the guy cuts himself while opening the bottle of pop and everything. And I just I find it funny just because it's it's the Frenchest thing ever. But like the the flight attendant is like oh la la like oh, when she sees like the, the spill blood. <laughs> <and everything. It's laughs> so funny. I just that, it's like so quiet in the background. But I just thought that was so funny. I'm just like the most French expression ever. I just I thought that was really funny. Yeah, 
but yeah. Um, Charlie, now to you, right? Some more of that good stuff? Sure. Where do you keep it? You go and get dressed and we'll bring you some right after. Okay. Peekaboo. Oh. <laughs> I see you. What the hell is this? Oh, this is from French television, 1975. Hey! You're pushing your luck, Ava. Why did you turn it off? I love that. I found it on YouTube. <sighs> of course you did. Oh, I don't feel well. What is it, sweetheart? You think it's all the traveling? Maybe. It's probably blood poisoning. Don't joke, Adam. I'm not. Are you taking care of your nutrition? You know, you have to be very careful. There's a lot of contamination around. I try. Hey, you guys fed without me. Take it easy, shit. Good. I want more. No, you've had more than enough. This is pure shit. You know, drain our whole fucking supply, so take it easy. Fine. Then I want to hear some of your music. No, I told you, it's private. Oh, yeah? Well, how come I heard it in L.A., then? What do you mean you heard it in L.A.? Where'd you hear it? Like an underground music club. I don't believe you. So don't. How did you know it was mine, then? Oh, come on, I could tell immediately. I might have been born at night, but I wasn't born last night. Fine. Then I'm going to go out. I want to hear some music. Good idea. Go out. Oh, but I want to go with you two. No. You're so fucking boring. Betty never takes you out ever, right? Well, no, we do go for a drive from time to time. Oh, a drive. Well, that's exciting. I mean, go somewhere where there's music. Don't you want to go, Eve? Well, I wouldn't mind. We are in Detroit. Yeah! No. 
Adam's gonna take us out. No, Adam is not going to take you out. I feel like I cheated like I do every time I come on this podcast where I play my hands early and say what my favorite scenes are. Um, But the dance scene, you know, Tilda's big proclamation about how can you live for so long and still not get it, I find so moving. And then, you know, and I went into a little bit of that. And then also, uh, every time I watch this movie and, and, you know, Yasmin Hamdan's just incredible uh song just like i i god i mean this whole movie is just just full of like that's my favorite scene no that's my favorite scene but those two are like mm-hmm. probably the ones that emotionally just ring so true to me i mean shocking that the those two scenes both uh deal with uh jarmusch uh constructing beautiful uh musical numbers in that in his own way so yeah yeah um feel like i've gone into why i love this (coughs) the most but i feel like those are the most uplifting moments of the film for me just when it could potentially you know be uh weighed down in maybe a little too much gallows humor a little too much pessimism or a little too much um of adam's you know nihilism you know threatening to uh sink the boat i think those those two moments the 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 dance scene that she uh those two have together to um god damn it i need to get the artists right but the 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 song this thing called love who sings that fucking song jesus christ you'd think i would have be on top of this um it's it's on the it's on that playlist that i sent yes i know that but i can't it's denise lasalle is that who it is i believe so yeah yeah it sounds about right Fresh blood, baby. What's this about? Just tell me that you're having trouble with one of the others. Please tell me that. I don't see any others. Ever. Okay. Don't ever fuck around like that. Just playing a part in your story. It's the zombies I'm sick of. And their fear of their own fucking imaginations. My darling, that's true. Meanwhile, just tell me what's so not frightened about that.
how can you have lived for so long and still not get it? This self-obsession, it's a waste of living. It could be spent on surviving things, appreciating nature, nurturing kindness and friendship, and dancing. You've been pretty lucky in love, though. If I may say so. Before we uh, we're done sinking our teeth into uh, only lovers, one more compliment is um, uh, this movie looks fantastic. Uh, it's shot by Olivia Sias's um, uh, a regular DP Yorick Lesu, and just wanted to throw that name out there. Yeah. But uh, Charlie and Brandon, thank you guys for being here. We love oh. having you on. You know that. It was a pleasure. Yeah, thank you so pleasure. much. Yeah. Pleasure's yeah. all out. Yeah. Always love yeah. being with you guys. Join thank our Zoom so even when we're in the middle of another one of these. Just, we, just we don't say anything. Just, just don't, don't say anything. Just watch us. Yeah, you're you're allowed to that that much back. I don't want to hear you behind a curtain as I listen in. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) How distracting would that be, though, if we Um, just popped on and we were just like, (laughs) just waiting? That would be very funny. That would be very funny. But um, yeah, tell everybody 
what's going on right now at almost major oh absolutely and we need to have both of you on at the same time too we'll yes. we'll, yeah, we'll be, be sure to pass that on to kevin um yeah this episode will be out in two weeks if that helps not not this week uh, but yeah so weeks. i don't know if we'll i don't know if we quite have it like we worry sometimes about like saying what we're doing because you know sometimes people's schedules change and or anything like you know with like what we're doing like immediately afterwards but like uh yeah we're doing 80s new line a lot of horror movies a lot of movies that uh that you would say don't exist or uh or that, are, that are very tough to track down no i would i would say only lovers is more real and better than uh, yeah the, there are the, what the the shit you guys have there are like. times where i've had to message Brian and kevin and be like what are we doing and they'll be like we're doing this and i'll be like huh <laughs> <It's> just... <laughs> but yeah thank you mirroring what Brian said love you so much jack and clay thank you so much for having us on again love you guys so much yeah Thanks so much. Yeah, Feelings Mutual, of course. Um, yeah, yeah, if you guys want to, like, promote, like, where, like, social media is and all that. Oh, um, um uh, yeah. Letterbox and stuff. I mean, just speaking for myself, my my Twitter is... Uh, hold on My Twitter? Uh, <laughs> or my ex profile. Uh, <laughs> no, you can't say that word on here. You cannot say yeah. that I te- I tease you too much. I can't have another person no. do it. It is, um, it's, uh, at Bryden Doyle on Twitter, uh, and I think I'm at, I'm at J Doyle on, uh, Letterboxd, so you can, you can follow me there if you're really curious. The government name and everything. Yeah, I I, on Twitter and Letterboxd, I am, and Instagram, I'm ctnash91, that's ctnash91, um, I'm also on Blue Skype sometimes, need to get better about that, uh. And yeah, um, and uh, you can occasionally still see me at the Coolidge <laughs> if you're in the Boston area. <laughs> Sometimes. Sometimes. Um, I try and visit as much. Yeah, as we'll I see. Can. We'll see what uh, we'll see what Blue Sky looks like in the new year. That'll be curious. They changed their logo. Now, it's like a butterfly now or something. Oh, Ooh. intriguing. Um, and also you... something's got, it's blossoming. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I can I can be found on X. Jack A. Draper on Letterbox. Jack Draper Seven. Uh, Clay looks like he just not... had like five warheads in his mouth when he said that. When no, he said that, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's how that's how he usually looks at me. This is no. Uh, this is no I refuse to play Elon's game. Okay, I refuse. <laughs> um. Yeah, this film is not streaming anywhere, but maybe that's different in Canada. Is yeah, there? no, Wait, it's it, not streaming anywhere. Yeah. It's uh, right for for me. Uh, in Canada, no, I can find it anywhere. Uh, you can watch it on Hoopla and maybe Canopy and possibly Tubi. Let me double check really quickly. Um, what's really funny is I don't think Patterson is on Amazon, which is really funny because that is a what? Amazon oh, Studios movie. Um, at least that's the case in Canada. Um, Isn't that weird how that works? Like when the product, when they actually make the fucking thing, they can't even get the rights for it internationally. Yeah. Um, wow. Only Lovers Left Alive is on Hoopla and Tubi in Canada. Uh, so those are free with your, those are free. So that's cool. Um, yeah. good old free. All those well, Canadians the, listening to this get that library card, I guess. Yeah, for the um, low price of three ninety nine. Yeah, yeah, quite. Thank you. Uh, or wait, did you already? Pre- oh no, wait. I you still haven't. I did. Did what did you say? What's oh, coming up next, next episode? Um, is it follows with Veronica Phillips? Oh, oh nice. fuck yeah! Yeah, 
Yeah, that'll be exciting. That will be exciting. Uh, yeah. Everyone can follow me at Birds of Clay on Twitter and Instagram and on Letterbox. Um, you could follow the podcast Twitter account ETT Pod. You can send us an email at exiting through the 2010s gmail.com. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, give us five stars on any podcast platform you listen us on to. We greatly appreciate it. Run up to someone in the middle of the street, touch their coat, and say 1953, and then run away. <laughs> Um, oh, wait, then run back and say, go listen to Exiting Through the 2010s, then run away again. And um, almost made you run your... back, and then, you know. <laughs> eh, maybe not. Um, <laughs> be good to yourselves, stay safe, um, keep supporting uh, the ceasefire movement that is happening in Gaza right now. Yeah. It is truly horrible, um, but, you know, be aware, retweet, I don't know at this point, but, you know, there's there's so there's stuff to do. Um and yeah, and next time, and we will catch you next time on Exiting Through the 2010s.